morning and welcome to another installment of the Batter Out here for PressBoxOnline.com. I'm your host, Paul Valley. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Zach Goodman. Zach, how are you this morning? I am great. It's a great fall day in Baltimore, so I'm ready to go. Oh, man, great for you. I walked out of my door this morning, and it was it was chilly. I almost went back in to get a jacket, and I was like, oh, man, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I am not ready for the cold, man. It's 50 degrees when I left my house. Supposed to get back up into the 80s next week. I'm looking forward to that because Paul Valley and fall and winter do not get along. Give me spring. Give me summer. Give me baseball. I love football. I love football. I am, I'm, I'm here for that. Other than that, I can do without the fall. Before we get the show started, I do want to talk a little bit. Sorry, my mic was a little bit low there for some reason. Didn't sound like that in the mic check. Uh, before we get the show started, I do want to talk a little bit about my favorite player because he used to be a star here in Baltimore. I was sad to see him go. Felt the Orioles should have should have built around him, and that's Manny Machado. Manny Machado, we gave him some crap on this show. Back at the beginning of the year, he was batting around 200 three weeks into the season. And I said that he wasn't living up to his contract. Stan and I talked about it a little bit. I think this was like a week or two before you came on. And then he went out and he won two straight NL Player of the Week awards. Manny Machado hit two more home runs last night. His 15th and 16th leads tie for the league, the National League lead with Mookie Betts. He drove in four, third in the National League with 45 RBIs. Batting average up to 318, which is eighth in the national eighth in the National League. Ladies and gentlemen, Manny Machado is your front runner for National League MVP. And if he's not, it's because people don't like him. But if you look at just the player and what he's doing this year, Manny Machado is the National League MVP. And I for one love it. I have no gripes. With Manny Machado, I'm not upset with with him for for taking big money and going someplace else. If the Orioles had made the off, that same offer to him, he'd be here right now. The Orioles would be building around him, but they're not. I can talk about that till I'm blue in the face. We won't get into it. Big props to Manny Machado for turning his season around, having arguably his best year to date with the San Diego Padres, putting himself firmly in that MVP conversation. Now we're going to get back to what this show is about, Zach, and this show is about Baltimore baseball. And we talk about the Nationals a little bit on this show. We do like to stay local to the uh, stay local uh, because we do have the DMV and a lot of Nationals fans. But the Nationals are 19 and 30 after uh, splitting a doubleheader yesterday. One of those games they got absolutely embarrassed. We'll talk about that in a little bit in the uh, payoff pitch around the league. Orioles had a doubleheader. And doubleheaders are not kind. To the Orioles, my man, they are uh, they are one in seven in seven inning games, which means they are one in seven in their four double headers, one win. Uh, they've got they've got been swept. That means three times, including yesterday. Or I'm sorry, two days ago. Uh, just couldn't score. Uh, the first game against Blake Snell. Blake is it? Yeah, Blake Snell. That's his name, right? Just couldn't couldn't score against Snell. Um, they finally tied the game, and then Cesar Valdez. He's been really good this year. He Gives up his first two earned runs of the year in the bottom of the, in the top of the seventh, and the Orioles end up losing that game. The next game, they were the Orioles score six runs, but they give up ten, lose ten to six in a game that they should have won. Uh, and then they play last night, and last night was a pitcher's duel. Last night you had Alex Cobb going against 
uh, Tyler Glasnow. And Glasnow, if you remember his last start, seven innings pitched, 13 strikeouts, only allowed two runs against the Orioles. Uh, not his last start overall, his last start versus the Orioles. Uh, he was good again last night. Gave up two hits, one earned run, struck out 10 in five innings. The Orioles did get that pitch count up. They got the pitch count up. They, uh, they had him on the ropes in the second inning. Bases loaded, nobody out, they don't score. And I'm sorry, man, I know I'm talking a lot. I'm going to give you your chance here in just a second. But there was a really bad hold by Flores as a third base coach. Rio Ruiz lines a base hit into left center field. You have Hayes on first. You have Cisco on second. Anybody, Matt Wieters could have scored on that base hit to left center field. That is a run 10 times out of 10. Unless you're the Orioles. For some reason, Flores holds up Cisco at, th- at third base. He should have walked home on that base hit. Austin Hayes, because of that, almost got a toot bland, thrown out on the bases like a nincompoop. But that wasn't really his fault. He should be thinking about going to third base. He shouldn't have to worry about the fact that Cisco's being held up by inexplicably. So he, he ends up getting back to second base. He's almost tagged out, but it was a really terrible throw by the center fielder, which a really weak throw, which makes you also think that Cisco should have scored because the guy didn't seem to have a great arm out there. Orioles end up losing that game by one run. That hold was the difference in the game. Yeah, I mean, you need every run you can get against a pitcher like Tyler Glasnow, and they weren't hitting Tyler Glasnow last night. It wasn't like the Orioles had put up four or five runs. So to not send a guy... Even if he's a minus runner, I don't care how slow he is. Like you said, Matt Wieters should have scored there. So, you know, Chance Cisco, obviously not even as slow as Matt Wieters. He easily would have made it home. There was a bobble and a weak throw. It was just a bad decision. I can't really fault a third base coach too much because it's just hard to make that read all the time. And either way, if you make the read wrong, you're going to get killed by the fans or and, you know, whoever else will, will criticize you. But... I think you got to try to get every run you can get when you're when you're losing like that. And Cobb was pitching well. Glasnow is really hard to get to. And Glasnow's coming into his own. He's becoming a better and better pitcher every time he goes out there. So you got to try to score against him every time. We're both nice guys. You are clearly a nicer guy than I am because there's no excuse in my mind to not score Cisco there. Now look, I get it. There's nobody out. You're thinking, okay. We have the bases loaded with nobody out. We're probably going to score here. You got to look at who you have coming up, right? You have Brian Holiday, who has 28 at bats coming up, and he's hitting 179. You have you have Velasquez after him, and he is absolutely useless in the batting order. Okay, he can play. He can play shortstop. He can play center field. He can play all, a little bit all of the all of the field. He can't hit. He cannot hit. The fact that he's on this roster really speaks to how glaringly thin the Orioles are up the middle in their organization right now. Th- that their best up-the-middle prospects are really far down in the minors to the point where you can't call them up. So instead you have Andrew Velasquez taking up a lineup spot, and it seems like he always comes up in a situation where the Orioles need him to come through, and he's striking out or popping out. And the guy hasn't had a hit. In 13 days. It is September 19th. His last base hit came on September 6th. I I get it. Iglesias has dealt with the quad injury all year. I get it. He got he took a he took a pitch off the shin the other day. He's rested for two straight days, two straight games now. 
v- Velasquez, you, whatever, I guess. They're, they're 22 and 30, right? They're a season high, eight games under 500. They're 22 and 30. They are crawling to the finish. They've lost eight of 10 games uh, after, after getting within a, a half game of the wild card. They've lost eight of 10. Actually, I'm sorry, nine of 11. They've lost nine of 11. Whatever. But it's, it's hard for fans to watch a team that's exciting with DJ Stewart and Ryan Mountcastle and Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, Tanner Scott, Hunter Harvey, all these, all these young players who are coming up and playing so well. And they're, they're giving you a really hopeful glimpse of the future. And then you have to watch Andrew Velasquez come up with the bases loaded and strike out. And you know it's coming. It's like watching Chris Davis come up. You know the strikeout's coming. And then Cedric Mullins, he's had his, himself a nice bounce-back season, but with two outs and the, and the bases loaded, I don't love him there. I don't love him in that, in that spot because a lot of his hits are bunt hits. So he's going to need to come through against Tyler Glass now. I like Cedric Mullins. I don't like most guys against Tyler Glass now. Certainly not Holiday Velasquez and Cedric Mullins. Yeah, Velasquez is is pretty useless at the plate. Like you said, he can play around, he can play center field, he can play shortstop. Okay, I get it. I'm all about giving guys chances. He was only 25 when he was claimed off waivers by us. I believe he came from the Indians, and I'm all about giving him that shot. But he's shown time and time again he can't get the hit in a big situation, and he really can't get many hits at all. He only has 10 hits in 40 games, which is just really, really bad. He's an OPS of plus of 35. He's an OPS of 480. Really, really struggles as a hitter. I mean, he has not hit the ball hard. He's not really done anything. Even when he gets on base, doesn't really steal bases. Pretty useless to the plate. I get that the Orioles don't have another guy to plug in there right now. I get that. Maybe Mason McCoy could be that guy. There's a couple guys maybe to be claimed off waivers or signed as a minor league free agent. There's possibilities. But Andrew Velasquez absolutely should not be here. I hope he gets DFA'd in the offseason or something else happens because he cannot be on that 2021 team. Well, and you're expecting that next year um, Richie Martin – yeah. Will be will be healthy. He he broke his wrist um, in in that summer camp in a, in an intra squad game. Got hit by a pitch, broke his wrist. Uh, the Orioles miss him, and, and you know Dan Connolly got a lot of flack on on social media for writing an article about how the Orioles were really going to miss Richie Martin, and p- people just thought that that was that that was asinine. Twenty two and thirty. Andrew Velasquez in a buck sixty-seven, playing almost every day in some capacity. You miss Richie Martin. You miss Richie Martin, especially when he he hit two eighty-six for the second half of the season last year. Now look, that was in a really small sample size. That wasn't even in a hundred at bats. But we're not going to spend any more time on this. It, it's maddening that, but you also understand that the Orioles—they don't really have any other options. I—I I, I know why Velasquez is still on the team. I, but I don't have to like it, right? Moving on, you know, Alex Cobb—he was really good last night. He was really good. One of the things that was glaringly obvious about where these two teams are, and the Orioles are better. The Orioles are better, but what was glaringly obvious about where these two teams are is the fact that the Orioles loaded the bases with nobody out in the second inning. They didn't score. The Rays get a leadoff triple in the bottom of the second inning. I'm, I'm sorry, in the top of the third inning, and with one out, they get a base hit and they score the run. You know, now, now that triple should not have happened. 
I have no idea what DJ Stewart was doing out on right field on that triple. He got under the ball, and you could tell that the wind was swirling it around. You could tell by, by the way he's going after, that ball was bouncing all over the place. But he gets under the ball, and then it looked like he ducked away from it. It looked like the ball was coming at him, and he thought, oh, no, don't hit me. And he ducked away from it. Now, maybe that's PTSD from when he fell in right field last year and the ball bounced right off his head and gave him a concussion. He should have caught the baseball. Then that run doesn't score. We're talking about a different ball game. Instead, he doesn't. There's a guy on third base with two out, with one out. I think it was Brandon Lau gets the base hit, and they go up 2-1, to one, and that was the final score. Alex Cobb deserved a better fate. Six innings pitched. He gave up two, two, uh, two earned runs, uh, four hits, struck out five. <clears throat> he did have the three walks, but it was his only second-quality start of the year, and he still gets a loss for it. You know, there have been times where Alex Cobb has been bad, <clears throat> and it showed. Uh, last night was not, was not one of those nights, and he still picked up the loss, and that just kind of shows you where the Orioles are right now. Yeah, he threw a gem, and I think most teams you know, in the league would have given him the run support to win that game because he only gave up two runs in six innings, and that's solid. He had five strikeouts. That's an outing I will take every single time. And, okay, you might argue that Alex Cobb is a little overpaid. We've had that conversation before, but he's giving them a really nice outing here. You know, maybe not a good enough season to be traded in the offseason, but Alex Cobb is coming out here and he's doing his job. And the Orioles can't back up that. DJ Stewart, not a plus fielder. I mean, it's just not, there's no way around it. Great arm out there. I will say, I've been very impressed by his arm strength. He's thrown accurately, but he really can't catch the baseball. He really has issues out there. He tracks balls, kind of shaky. He's just not the best out there. I, I can't wait to see some of the better options. Yusniel Diaz, we've talked about him. And, you know, Santander comes back next year. That's going to be a breath of fresh air out there in right field because DJ Stewart really struggles. Yeah, he. it's Again, that ball that bounced off his head last year, the the misplay yesterday. I thought he's looked better defensively Slightly this year. Better, yeah. You know, and his, he he showed off a little bit of an arm this year, but overall, I think that he profiles. And you you also have to give him a little bit of a little bit of leeway here because playing right field in Camden Yards is not easy. Playing exclusively in the outfield. In major league stadiums is not easy because you play your entire life in two t- at, in two tier stadiums. In college, college is a one tier stadium. Minor leagues is two tier. You get that third deck, that third level with the lights. It's it's from what I've heard. I've never done it. I've never played professional baseball. You know, but but from what I hear, it is pretty difficult to read a ball off the bat and field a ball in the major leagues with those big stadiums. So a little a little bit of flack right there, or uh, not flack, a little bit of a of a leeway there. Um, and we're going to get to your sounding off segment in a little bit here. Something I've noticed, well, one, Cole Salser, bad again. The other day, third of an inning pitched, two hits, three earned runs. Nothing good happens when Cole Salser comes in the game anymore. I think it's a mental thing because he started out the year pretty well. Um, I think that he can't wait for the season to be over, or maybe he wants every opportunity to get to get back on the right track, but it's been bad for Salser. But one guy I've noticed Evan Phillips has quietly turned his season around. Now he's often the tw- the 29th man in a doubleheader. He's been at the buoy site. But his last seven games, he hasn't allowed a run. Five hits, five walks. You hate to see that. Uh, ten strikeouts in those seven games in seven innings pitched. Uh, and in his, his last outing, an inning in a third, he struck out all four batters he faced. Evan Phillips has been a lot better and kind of 
what we saw them talking about when they first acquired Phillips a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, it seems like every guy who goes down to Bowie really gets better, and you have seen the player development as far as Evan Phillips goes. He has gotten better. He really struggled in the past couple of years, and now he looks like a little bit of a better pitcher. I'm not sure that he's part of the future bullpen. I hope he might be part of the future bullpen, but... You know, he's looked better, and he's getting strikeouts, and he has a really nice slider. No doubt about it. He can get guys with that slider, and he throws pretty hard. So, you know, maybe a piece to stick around. I'm not sure yet, though. Yeah, I, I don't have as much confidence in Evan Phillips. Uh, I've seen too much of him scared to scared to throw, it seems, and having trouble locating. Uh, to and The five walks are concerning in his last seven innings. Um so that 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 can like I said, it's concerning. But if he pitches like he did the other night, where he strikes out all four batters he faces, that's an arm that you maybe you can look to in a pinch uh, in the future. Not sure what his full role will be. Uh, before we get to sounding off, I do just want to point out um, that the Orioles received Isaac Isaac DeLeon from the Marlins as a player to be named later in the Richard Blyer deal uh, from Rockabaco. Uh, he was signed by the Marlins as a 2018 in 2018 as an international free agent out of Santo Domingo. Uh, he appeared in 66 games for the Dominican Summer League Marlins last summer in slash 256, 367, 324 with 13 doubles, one home run, 20 RBIs, and 38 walks with 35 runs scored. DeLeon appeared in 34 games at shortstop, 29 at third base, but the Orioles referred to him as a shortstop in their announcement. And then late last night, per Dan Connolly, the Orioles also announced they acquired uh, outfielder, uh, forgive me if I butcher this name, it looks like Michael, but with an S, um, Michelle Desson uh, from Colorado as the player to be named later in the Givens, in the Michael Givens deal. Desson, 18, was signed by Colorado in 2018 out of the Dominican Republic. He appeared in the combined 61 games for the Rockies, Dominican Summer League affiliates in 2019, slashing 252, 327, 336 with 14 doubles, 38 runs, 20 RBIs, and 23 stolen bases. Uh you have a little bit of a, a little bit of something for, about them, Zach. Yeah, I do have a couple uh, write-ups from Baseball America that were on both of those guys. Starting with Desone, uh, the Rockies signed Dominican outfielder Michael Mitchell. Whatever that one is, uh, Disson for three hundred fifty thousand when he turned sixteen on July seventh. Disson stood out for his physical upside and chance to stay in center field. He's added about fifteen pounds since signing. Is now six foot three, one hundred and seventy pounds. He still has a lanky frame, but with a lot of space to fill out and a chance for his tools to jump out once that happens. He glides around center field with easy action and sen- and average speed. It's tricky to project players getting faster, but Disson's youth, running gait, and physical projection. Some scouts think he could run plus in the future. He isn't a polished hitter, but he has the strength. Pro- Projection for big power, and if everything clicks, he will be flashing home runs in games. And now on to De Leon. He's the Dominican shortstop, 17, signed with the Marlins for 275,000 on July 2nd. At six foot two, 170, he's hit well in games from the right side. He's an aggressive hitter, but he lets the ball travel deep in the hitting zone, squaring balls up for quality contact with hard line drives at all fields. He is a sound, reliable shortstop, but not a flashy one. He'll make the routine plays and has secure hands, and it gives him a chance to stay at shortstop. All right, so it looks like the Orioles are adding to that uh, depth up the middle at shortstop in center field, which is what we were just talking about, the, the lack of depth in the organization. So nice to see them uh, getting some players into the mix there. Now, Zach has a sounding off segment, and I was going to talk about this, so I'm glad that this is his segment. The playoffs are about to start, and it recently came out that Fred Manfred said that he that they're looking to keep the expanded playoff format beyond 2020 and if you're just tuning in or been living under a rock uh, it went from five teams to eight teams 
in each league. So you have your first place and second place winners your, um, in each division, and then you have your wild card teams. Uh, the, the, you're basically the two best records after those six teams. I don't know what the plan is. I don't know if they plan to continue to allow first and second place from every division. I think that's stupid. Um, I think that it should just be based on record, first place, and then record. Um, so I don't know if that's their plan. But a lot of people are up in arms about having 16 teams. They say the waters it down, and, and it, it makes the, the regular season not matter. And they don't want to see a the, the best team in baseball with 101 wins or whatever lose to a team that wins 79. And it's like, sorry, if, if you lose a series, we're not talking about one game. We're talking about a three-game, a five-game, a seven-game series to a 79-win team. You're not the best team in baseball. You're not the best team in baseball. I don't care if you won 101 games. Maybe you're playing in a division where where three of the five teams are below 500, and that's how you got to 101 wins. But if you lose to a team that's below 500 in a series, or a team that's 500, or a team like the 2006 Cardinals that won 83 games but won the World Series, if you lose to that team, you're not the best team in baseball. You, you just aren't. And if you're upset that the or that that sorry, I'm used to these to these rants about the Orioles. If you're upset that it that you're going to have more teams in base in the baseball playoffs and that the regular season is going to be watered down, then you're probably a front runner. You probably root for the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Cubs or the Red Sox aside from this year. It's good for baseball. Fans want to watch their teams have a chance. And with, with with an extra three teams in each league getting into the playoffs, so many more fans have a reason to stay tuned in. Yeah, it's about money because people are going to watch. You want viewership up? You want to bounce back from this pandemic? Then yes, add teams to the playoffs. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear your gripes about teams not about too many teams in the playoffs. It is good for baseball. And now that I've sounded off, Zach has his own opinions. I hope I didn't steal your thunder, but I wanted to just get that out because I'm tired of all the bitching. No, I mean, I think you're right in pretty much everything you said right there. And that's pretty much what I what I have to say, too. You know, 79% of people per a Baseball America poll are against expanding the playoff to 16 teams. Now, I think a lot of this is partly because this is Rob Manfred's idea. And a lot of people hate Rob Manfred. No matter what, whatever he does, he's going to be hated on. And I think he knows that. And I'm personally for this. I was one of the 20% who said, I, I do like this. It gives the Orioles a chance and other teams like the Jays or other small market teams who don't have the money to buy their teams and buy these huge free agents to be able to go out there and, and have a chance. And like Paul said, you know, if, if your team is not good enough to bounce the 80-win Orioles out of the playoffs, then that's your problem. That's not the Orioles' problem at all. You know, the Yankees, who are going to win 100 games in a few years, and they play the Orioles, who have only won 80, and they can't beat them, then that's just, that's just how it goes. It, it is what it is at that point. It gives more fans a chance to watch their teams in the playoffs. It gets more money for baseball, and baseball definitely needs the money for sure. Any point they can get it. This is just going to be a really good thing, I think, for these small market teams. I just see so much benefit here. Well, yeah, and certainly uh, Zach's staying a lot calmer about this than I was. I, I, I get heated about it. you know. And now we have on the line Stan the Fan, Charles. Stan, what are your thoughts on the expanded playoffs? 
Uh, well, not not surprised at all that they've sort of uh, the commissioner said that this could be here to stay. I mean, uh, you know, once you let somebody grab some money, uh, it's very hard, especially when they need money, as Zach just said, to uh, think they're going to give it back. I, I don't, I don't love it, uh, but you know, I'm an old fuddy duddy, so you know, what's the difference? Well, and let me let me just say, I I, I was very you know, adamant about how I don't care if if they add the teams because it's, I think it's better for baseball. Stan, if you were on the side where you don't like it, I hope I did not offend you there. I just I have very strong opinions on the matter. You mean you just love it? Yeah, I, I, no, I don't. I don't love it. I, 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 but I don't hate it. I don't think that it waters yeah. down the season. I still think that it, that the regular season is very important with right. eight teams in each league. I just don't think that you know. I think it's better for baseball if you if more fans have a rooting interest into September. Uh, I agree with you. I just I think you you will see that it took how how long did it take for a number sixteen to be the number one in college basketball? I think it took about forever, four, like forty seasons since the expanded uh, you know. Expanded playoffs in NCAA basketball, where you know they went from forty-eight to sixty-four. Uh, I think you'll find this: like the Toronto Blue Jays are not going to, you know, they may win a series, but they're not going to go very far. Right, right. But to quote Jim Carrey here, so you're saying there's a chance, and that's all the fans really want. Yeah, is that's, it, is I it, mean, that's you know, they want their teams. That's in it. really what it is all about. Yeah. Right. So moving on to the Orioles, uh, Bruce Zimmerman became the third Orioles. Um, I don't know how highly touted he is, but the third Orioles touted prospect to debut in the starting rotation the other night. Uh, not great. Two home runs, three innings, five hits, five earned runs. Um, what did you see from from Bruce Zimmerman? I was impressed with his curveball in spring training. I thought he had a big league curveball. I didn't get to watch much of the game, but what did you see from Zimmerman that game, and what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, uh, look, he... he He's a, he's a, he's more I think much more a work in progress than the the other two you know and uh, you know uh, Keegan Aiken and I know you're asking me about him but Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer are, are clearly much more advanced than Bruce Zimmerman. I agree. Uh, but you know Zimmerman had a great year last year at Double A, and then when he went up to the big to the the big uh, farm club, the AAA farm club, he had a terrible time through three, I think, three or four starts. Um, and this year, he stepped up another level to pitch at the major league level. So I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't see it as a disqualifier of him. I'm not terribly excited by him, uh, but certainly think he's got an arm that could play in the big leagues. I just don't know that I like him projecting him as a starting pitcher but i'd have to see more uh but was was sort of uh, really not impressed the other night well but the benefit there for the orioles is that it asher wojahowski is is gone I tweeted on Tuesday after another terrible outing from Wojciechowski that I, that I thought he may have just pitched himself off the team. The corresponding roster move to get Zimmerman in is that Wojo was was released. You and I talked about this at length last week. Uh, Asher Wojciechowski, he just he just wasn't a fit for this team. He, he couldn't get anybody else out. So um, with that being said, do you think that that's an endorsement for Zimmerman or more so just because Wojciechowski just wasn't good this year? 
uh, I, look, progress is progress. I'd much rather have our, our sort of our own prospect who's still coming on the way up rather than a guy who's proven for much of his career that he's uh, essentially a 4A pitcher. Yeah. Um, uh, I thought it was a little unfair of the club to suddenly throw Wojciechowski in a role that he probably hasn't had in about six or seven years coming in in relief after they've sort of built his mindset up as a starter. But, I mean, I'm not upset that he's he's gone. Um, I just find it a little odd to, to get rid of somebody like him with about eight, ten days left in the season. I know they probably had to do it, but uh, um, I just uh, there are other people that I could have seen sent down or something like that. Hey, Stan, it's Zach Goodman. Um, you know, Wojo was obviously DFA'd by the O's, so he has a chance to clear waivers and come back to the Orioles. But do you think there's a chance, if he doesn't clear waivers, for the Orioles to sign him as a uh, minor league free agent next year and possibly pitch for the AAA club? Um, I would think that the way they did this, I mean, I think they clearly don't think he's part of the club's future at the big league level. And i got to tell you, you know, the guy they picked up, they, they've got all those guys that were ready. I was counting how they were going to fit all those guys at Norfolk this year. Uh, and now they've added uh, Kevin Smith from the Mets. Uh, and I'm not sure who else they've got that might have advanced. I, I don't see him as a fit for us. That's, that's my opinion. Well, certainly somebody that has been a fit for the Orioles in his first four big league starts is Keegan Aiken, who's been pretty darn good. Uh, other than the start that against the Yankees in that doubleheader, it was just it, it was just a run of bad luck. Uh, to, to me, he pitches with a bulldog mentality. I think he's very aggressive on the hill. Struck out nine in five innings in his last start. Uh, really held the the a really good offensive team in the Atlanta Braves at bay. And really, when you look at it, his four starts are against four of the better offensive teams in the Blue Jays, the Yankees, and the Atlanta Braves. Does he have staying power in his rotation? A lot of people think he's a bullpen piece, but I think he showed enough to be considered as part of a as a future rotation piece. Well, I mean, he's certainly going to start next season as yeah. a piece in the rotation. Um, so I don't think there's any question about that. Um, whether he has the staying power, that's what he will have to prove next year to me. Uh, I'm not going to make any lasting judgments on three or four starts. Uh, on somebody, but I went into it thinking he was a bullpen arm. He certainly opened my eyes that he's uh, he, he's certainly a much better piece for 2021 than uh, Wade LeBlanc or Tommy Malone. Oh. Uh, much more interesting, much more upside, and you have to come away fairly impressed with what he's done to this point. I agree. I just, I just really like his approach. I feel like he's a str- aggressive in the strike zone. Um, I also feel like Dean Kramer um, could actually. T- and I like what Dean Kramer's done. He, what he's done in his first three starts is actually pretty historic. I think they said only Eduardo Rodriguez has had the same run to start their career with five or more innings pitched, four or less hits, one or less run, and six or more Ks. But Dean Kramer, to me, uh, sometimes gets a little too fine. Uh, throws a little, a little too many uh, balls. He walks too many guys. He's had three walks in each of his first three starts. Um, is that? 
I haven't. I didn't pay attention too much to his walk totals. I know he had big strikeout numbers in the minor leagues, but is Dean Kramer kind of that guy who's just trying to figure out how to pitch at the major league level, or the walk something of a concern? I, I have a feeling, and I haven't looked at his numbers, uh, you know, lately in the minors. I know his strikeout numbers were were very nice. Uh, I have a feeling he's somebody that again we're talking about probably a. a uh, he's got now. He's got the upside that if he can, if he can bring his pitch count down, that's the biggest thing about him so far. That's a negative is his pitch count is up there, and he's sort of a five inning pitcher. But yet, I don't think his stuff is a five inning pitcher. I think he's got to refine his ability to throw strikes and trust his stuff a little more than he probably does right now. So. I probably think his upside is as a three, and his downside would be as a sort of an end-of-rotation guy. I don't think he's a number one guy, but there's a small, there's a there's a chance that he could become a two, but I see him probably his upside, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. You know, uh, to get a number three major league starter for, uh, you know, six or eight weeks of Manny Machado, uh, plus the rest of the deal that they got. I mean, it looks to me like Dan Duquette uh, did a nice job in that return. Yeah. yeah. I feel Kramer has nibbled a little bit, you know, maybe trying to use his fastball a little too much. Do you think that his, you know, increased usage of his sinker and his changeup could possibly lead him to have more success, you know, going up uh, so far? Um, I mean, that that's a good point, Zach. I mean, I, th- I think uh, I think – the thing I do like about him, he's got he's got a wide repertoire, you know, um, and that's why there is a chance he could still be higher than I'm saying he'll be. Uh, I don't see him as a I don't see him as a, a one. I really don't see him as a five. To me, he's between a three and a four. And what you're talking about is if if he clicks with Doug Brocal at the major league level over the next year or two. He, he could be a little something more than that, you know, and that, that would really make that trade return something special because I still think Zach Pop has got a chance to be kind of the real bright light of that trade. And it's ironic because Yusnail Diaz is the guy that was the headliner in that deal, and I, I clearly don't know enough about him right now. Well, I, I think it speaks volumes about Dean Kramer that uh... – when he, when Buck Showalter was on Glenn's program, I believe on Friday on Glenn Clark yeah. Radio, uh, he said that he thought the best piece of that trade was Dean Kramer. So I think that that speaks highly about what Kramer could be. Mm-hmm. And if he is a number three, and your number one and number two are D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez, not necessarily in that order, I think that you take Dean Kramer as your number three any day of the week. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, something I do want to talk about regarding last night's game, and you and I talked a little bit about this when we were talking about the show last night. Robert Flores, I'm sorry, not Robert Flores. Uh, I can't remember Flores' first Pedro. name. Pedro Flores, thank I you. Believe Rob- it, I believe it's Jose Flores. The the Jose Flores? Third base coach. Third base Jose coach. Flores, I'm thank sorry. You. Yeah, thank the you. third base coach. Yeah. Third, third time's a charm. Third base coach, Jose Flores. <laughs> T- terrible hold on the, Re- on, with, uh, on the Rio Ruiz base hit last night. The Orioles lose that game 2-1. to one. Chance just goes on second base. Austin Hayes on first. There's a base hit into the left center field gap. It was only a single, but... I, I said this earlier in the show, Matt Wieters could have scored on that base hit. 
There is nobody in baseball that doesn't score on that base, especially when you see how weak of an arm the center fielder had throwing into second to try and throw out uh, Hayes, who put his head down and tried to run to third after a bobble and looked up and saw that Cisco was still standing there. I thought it was a terrible hole by Flores, and I thought that it was kind of a microcosm of the up-and-down season that he's had over there at third base. To me, the the biggest thing you can say about a third base coach is he's not noticeable, and uh, because that means he's not making particularly a lot of bad calls. Uh, I think Flores is a guy that's, for the most part, unnoticeable. I would have been more aggressive, and part of why I would have been more aggressive is because you've got Tyler Glass now on the mound. You've got a chance to score a run there. And coming up next, um, were, were with the bases loaded, were Brian Holiday, Andrew Velasquez, who hasn't met a pitch he can hit, a fastball that he can hit, yeah. and Cedric Mullins. Uh, so I would have leaned on being more aggressive. Mm-hmm. I asked Brandon Hyde that question during the uh, post-game Zoom, and he, he staunchly defended his third-base coach, uh, saying that that uh, Cisco didn't get a particularly good break, whereas I think Ben McDonald on television was, uh, in my opinion, was more accurate. We we both thought that he got a good break, uh, and then the bobble. It, but you know, in in Flores' defense, Flores does not know that the guy's going to bobble the right. ball, and you're making the judgment on a weak throw to second base coming off of a bobble where it's tough to get your body back in motion because you've paused to pick up the bobble. Uh, So I I don't think it was the world's worst. I agree that he should have sent them given who the next three hitters were. And uh, Glass now dispensed those guys rather easily and what would look like a potential for a big inning uh, fell apart. Well, yeah, you got to know who's coming up next in the order. The, my, my argument there is that the, the, where the ball was, that's a 270-foot throw from, from the left center field gap to get the guy at the plate. And I think I, I have to believe in my heart of hearts that if you asked Brandon Hyde behind closed doors off the record, he would have said, no, yeah, Flores should have sent him. Cisco should have scored there. Of, but, of course, Well, I, I asked the question in such a way. I said, I'm, I'm always hesitant to put you in a position to criticize one of your people, and he like his eyes like really opened that I was asking something that potentially, and then he listened to what I asked, and he went into his defense. Uh, he said, "Yeah, I'm never going to criticize my guy uh, like that." And then he went into the reasons he ticked off, and they he articulated them uh, about as well as he can be, and he defended his third base coach, which is you what know. he should do. I, I, I again. The part that I didn't want to bring up because it's a negative again in a Zoom like that is is who the next three hitters were. Exactly. And I think that that, you know, when, when your next hitter is uh, Holiday and your next two hitters are Holiday and Velasquez, there's very little chance. There's, there's more of a chance of Cisco scoring on that play than those guys driving him in against Tyler Glass now. I 100% agree. Now, uh, Talking about Brandon Hyde, this team, this Orioles team, Stan is five and twelve in one-run games. A third of their they're games. actually they're actually six and twelve. I've looked it up on uh, 
baseball reference as in the six and twelve this year. Okay, okay. I I, I, I thought I saw five, but if it says six and twelve, it says six and twelve. So a third of their games have been It probably didn't include last night's game because they lost a one run game. So they probably went from six and eleven to six and twelve. Gotcha, gotcha. Well so and, and Zach shaking his head is nodding his head. So you're right. The, the Orioles are six and twelve in one run games. A third of their games this year right. have been one run games, uh, and they've they've only won six of those eighteen. To me, it shows the youth of the team, but it also shows me that this team is close to getting over the hump. Because I always say that a team you can tell a team's progress based on how many one run and two run games they're playing in, and uh, this team once they get. So their feet under them once they get to be a little bit more competitive and a little bit more confident in their abilities, th- that record could turn from could flip on its head. And if that that if that record's flipped on its head right now, the Orioles are in the playoffs. Uh, do you think that that speaks to the job that Brandon Hyde is doing? And how do you think Brandon Hyde is doing overall as a manager for the Orioles right now? Well, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting question. They, you know, if you multiply the eighteen games the 18 one-run games by 2.7, you come up with, hold on, I just want to, I want, you come up with 40.5 one-run games. Mm-hmm. Last year, they had, in one-run games, they were 11 and 22. So they've had an increase based from 33 to 40 in one-run games, which I think is a plus. More importantly, though, Zach, I'm, Zach uh, not Zach, Paul, I think what impresses me most about the team, uh, and again, this is one of the reasons I thought they'd win more than the uh, percentage of games that the odds makers gave them of winning 19.5 to 20.5, and, and I'm not sitting here gloating because it looks like they're going to win 23-24 games for the season. But in blowouts this year, the Orioles are 6-9 and nine in blowouts. Last year, they were 18-41. and 41. They played 59 blowout games last year. And that's, I think, five runs or more is a blowout game, I yeah. think. Yeah. Uh, and if you multiply the 6-9, and nine, 15 times 2.7, they've, they've improved from 59 to 40. I know they don't play 41 run games this year. I mean, blowout games. But you get my point that they they they're they're getting blown out less. They're playing more one run games. That speaks to a trend that is uh, upward. And I agree with you. Uh, There's not that much difference on a one run game that you can that can't turn on a dime when you get a little bit when you when there's no Velasquez on the team. You know, there's no Holiday on the team that there's a little bit better talent throughout, uh, and there's not an Asher Wojciechowski and, you know, uh, the the guys that really are rounding out this roster get a little better. That's how teams turn around and become contenders. I think Hyde, what I really like about Hyde is I find him to be pretty much the genuine article. What What you ask him, you get a straightforward answer from uh, and there's not a lot of hidden agendas with him. Look, I think the world of Buck Showalter, I think Buck Showalter um, is is one of the real difference makers as a manager that there are out there. But you see, when you watch him for nine years, you understand a little bit about why he wears out his welcome a little bit. You know, 
Uh, he's, he's got his own hidden agendas sometimes, and I don't sense that with Brandon Hyde at all. Well, yeah, and I think that there's a reason that Brandon Hyde was touted as one of the up-and-coming managers before he took the Orioles' job. He was going to be he was going to be managing somewhere and managing for a long time. Whether that's in Baltimore, that remains to be seen. But you mentioned Brian Holiday. If, if there's not a Holiday on this roster, if there's not a Velasquez on this roster. And I, I look at the Orioles' catchers, Stan, and look, the, the Cisco and Severino have really cooled off offensively. Holiday never really got going. Offensively, uh, their defense has been substandard all year, in, in my opinion. Well, that's why Hyde likes Holiday. I mean, he's his best defender, defensive catcher. Right. So, with that in mind, do the Orioles go into next year with the same duo uh, of, of Severino and Cisco? Do they sign a defensive-minded veteran, or does the Rutschman timeline get pushed up if he starts out at Bowie? And I ask that because... Mike Elias said earlier this season that if the Orioles were in the playoffs, they would have to they would have to consider calling up Rutschman. And knowing that he made those comments, does a hot start? You assume he's going to start a buoy. Does a hot start by Rutschman and a slow start by Cisco and Severino next year expedite his timeline to the big league club? Uh, it, it's part of the equation that you know I, I'm not on that pay grade. So I, yeah. I'm just aware that you're you're cognizant of uh, starting the clock on Rutschman. Um, so I I think there's a chance Rutschman plays the big leagues next year, but I still right now would more pencil him in as a September call up, unless the club as it's as a whole is making a surprise run, uh, you know, and again. The, the one thing I haven't fully factored into my brain yet is the eight teams making it. So yeah. it, it's not outrageous to think that the Orioles could be in the hunt for a playoff spot next year. Um, it just, I'd, I'd have to, there's too much unknown there. I'd have to know how Rutschman is playing at Bowie. Has he really settled in? And if the seasons are like, like the old days, if Rutschman is really having a great season at Bowie, I would think there's still a two-month development curve that you bring him up to Norfolk that gets him ready for a mid-August or September call-up. So that's, that's the way I see it now, but certainly an injury to Severino or Cisco could factor into that. Um, I don't know yet whether they'll still somehow play next year with an expanded roster of higher than 26. So I'd have to know more about all the pieces to the puzzle before I'd be willing to, to state whether Rutschman's time uh, time clock gets uh, sped up. Uh, as far as the other two guys, if you look around the big leagues, uh, and I do all the time because I play fantasy baseball, um, it, it, there, there aren't a lot of duos that are a heck of a lot better than what we have. Um, Cisco... You, you, the more you see Cisco, the more you you see that he's not a he's he's a serviceable backup in my mind, rather than a guy who's ever going to be anything much more meaningful than that. You know the the play. It's interesting, and this is something. If I were out at the ballpark and talking to Brandon Hyde about, you watched the game the other night when Tate made that very athletic play on the infield single 
by mm-hmm. Tampa's backup catcher, Kevin Smith. Yeah, I saw yeah. it. I, I asked him the question. I don't. I honestly don't know the answer because they showed one replay of it. I think Cisco kind of fell asleep on the play. You know, all he has to do there is put himself in a position to give Tate an easy throw, and I think he stood there watching Tate. Now, I don't know that for a fact. I asked, I asked Brandon that question. He says, Stan, I'd have to see the tape to see. He's, and he, then he echoed what I said, because all he's got to do is be a first baseman there. The bases were loaded. I don't think he gave Tate any window to really throw the ball um, accurately to him because he was standing there sort of behind the base runner. Uh, all he had to do was, and he's not blocking the plate, is step out to the front of the plate and yell, I'm over here, I'm over here. Uh, you know, Tate's reacting quickly. In other words, Tate reacted like an athlete, and Cisco, I think, got caught up in just watching the play and didn't give Tate a chance to make that play. I, I've I've had my issues with Cisco behind the plate. I think that the that the poor throw in that doubleheader where the in the game in the doubleheader that Aiken started, I felt like yeah. like Cisco didn't try to catch that ball. He tried to block it and stop it from getting by him. And to me, it's the I, the effort yeah, I, is in the right place. I know place. what you're saying, and I think we're both saying the same thing. Yeah. The guy who's even more frustrating though is Severino because Severino seems like at times like. He's really a number one catcher, you know, sort of hidden in Baltimore. And then you watch him for the totality of a season like this, and you you, you say there's so many good moments, but boy, he just doesn't. Everything is so such a mess at the plate um, defensively that he's you know uh, again they, the the official scorers call wild pitches wild pitches for a reason. But you don't see Severino saving any of those too often. Yeah, my, my biggest issue with Severino and Cisco both are that I really don't like the way they receive pitches. They really can't yeah. frame, and they never give pitchers the benefit of the doubt as far as, as their, their good pitches go that might be strikes. It, it's yeah. always like, you know, they're, they're not sticking their pitches, they're not holding them in place, and they're not letting these pitchers get the possible strike calls. And that's kind of bothered me, and I hope that Adley Rutschman can kind of smooth that out a bit. I, I Look, we, we, all, we all hope and think that Rutschman's the real deal. Um, I'd like to see it, though. If he's really the real deal, he should hit the ground running next year at Bowie. Um, Agreed. I just wonder... You know, and, I, and, I, and we talked to Zimmerman the other night that those uh, inter-squad games are taken pretty seriously down there. You know, and that's a tribute to Buck Britton and Gary Kendall who are kind of running the show down there, uh, that the players are playing with some intensity in those games. So, And I don't know whether Rutschman is really hitting well or not. You know, he did not hit great last year the brief time he was at Aberdeen. And then I know he went to Delmarva, and I, I don't think he hit great there. Uh, but, you know, he had a lot going on last year. So um, it, it's interesting to, to sense where he would be this year had it been a regular season. From what I've heard, Rutschman has been pretty on fire. 
down at, at the alternate, yeah. alternate training site from from what I've heard. Now, this is only from yeah. like one or two people, but that's that's what I'm hearing from down there. Yeah. So uh, I, I think it certainly would be interesting to see what they want to do with him uh, behind the plate, whether it's at Bowie or at the major league level, especially when you consider the young pitchers in the Orioles rotation. Stan, we really got to run. Today was excellent. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll talk right, to you next thank week. Thank you, guys. All right, take care. Once again, that was Stan Charles, the founder of the show, The Bat Around, here over at Press Box Sports. Uh, if you're missing your Stan the Fan fix, you can get it twice a week on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash Sports. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley talk baseball, and every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein talk to a newsmaker in the sports world. Find both shows via the videos tab at facebook.com slash Sports or PressBoxOnline.com. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with Gary Kendall, who was running the Orioles' alternate site in Bowie. While Stan and Gary chatted with a PressBox fantasy football expert, Ken Zalis, one of the top three in the country, Ken Zalis. Coming up this Monday night at 8, you won't want to miss it when Stan and Ross chat with Dan Duquette who we tried to get on this show and uh, <laughs> uh, couldn't get a hold of him. So he'll be ta- if you want to hear from Dan Duquette, he'll be talking with Stan and Ross this Monday night at 8 o'clock. we got to get a break. When we come back, we're going to have minor league reporter for Press Box and Prospects live, uh, Eric Garfield on the program, to talk some Orioles prospects. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka profiles potential breakout Ravens star Hollywood Brown and the relationship he's developed with Lamar Jackson, a fellow South Florida native. Also inside, Bill Ordean helps remember legendary superfan Mo Gabba, and Luke Jackson looks at the challenge the Ravens will have to keep their roster together long term. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Baltimore's favorite bar, Sliders Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Sliders is open, and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32-ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Sliders' carryout menu, and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443-835-0906 or 410-547-8891 or visit slidersbaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer at Sliders. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate so. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dicky V, Dick Vitale. Kyle, too diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. 
For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Glory Days Grill's Oktoberfest menu is available now. Our fall seasonal menu is available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new chicken schnitzel or the delicious Prussian pretzel rolls. Glory Days is open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. All right, welcome back to the Batter Round. Again, I'm Paul Valley with my co-host Zach Goodman here. On the line right now, we have minor league reporter for Press Box and for Prospects Live, Eric Garfield. Eric, how are we doing today, man? Excellent. I'm sitting in sunny Florida. Happy Saturday to you guys. Happy Saturday to you, too. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous because up here I left the house this morning and it was 50 degrees and I was very, very cold. Not ready for this yet, so I'm sure in Florida it's probably about 30, 35 degrees warmer. Yeah, at like 8.30 in the morning, too. Yeah, we know about humidity up here. Humidity, it's bad in Maryland. It's even worse in Florida if you've ever been down there. So, Eric, really glad to have you on the program. We talked before the shutdown. You gave us a lot of really great intel about what you saw over at Twin Lakes Park with the Orioles' prospects. And with that in mind... I want to talk about some players that have made it to the Major League roster this year who seem to really be clicking. We're talking Tanner Scott, Dylan Tate, Cedric Mullins. Um, what does that say about the rebuild? Did you see this stuff from them uh, during spring training? I, don't, I know you didn't get over to the, to the Sarasota Complex too often, um, but did you see this coming from this team? Mm, specific contributions, perhaps. But overall, meaning something as far as being a better team, probably not this early. I did see, I, I did get to the the Orioles complex on the other side where where uh, they play um, in Sarasota, and I remember in my notebook when I walked out to the practice field, the first two pitchers I saw were actually uh, Kramer and Tate, and I remember writing down. I would be surprised if these guys don't get to the majors and don't get a few guys out and show that they kind of belong. That, that, that was my first impression. So the stuff from guys like Mountcastle and DJ Stewart and Tanner Scott, you know, have been kind of like icing on the top of a cake that I was surprised to be getting this early. Yeah, I was surprised to see Tate pitch as well as he has pitched uh, so far this year. Uh, Hunter, He's got some serious junk. I it, mean, that ball moves. 
Yeah, he, he's he, he's got an electric arm. It shows why I believe he was the fourth overall pick in the draft when when he came out. Uh, Tanner Scott to me has been the most impressive, and it it really it was just simplifying his delivery. It seems going from that high leg kick from the stretch to a little bit more of a slide step, and he seems to have more control of his pitches. Yeah, well, less less body torque pulling him down, which would affect where his arm goes. So yeah, a shortened stride has has made the difference. But uh, I guess like uh, I guess this is kind of like a trend in baseball. He's really showing a, a significant amount of difference in uh, all speed and and real heat, and that's getting a lot of swing and misses, putting him in favorable counts, and he can work off of that. You know, that's I guess that's a little bit of the difference between him and Kramer right now. Kramer gets to two and zero a little more than you would like for him to be at one and one and he doesn't have that good count foundation to work from. But, like you guys talked before, he is spotting pitches, and he is striking people out. So there's just so many points of progress throughout the whole system that, you know, what you asked me before, I thought specific guys would get better because it's baseball and they, you know, mature and improve. But making the team better overall, you know, that's, that's happening so much sooner than expected. In a season like this, you know, what what could be better than that? I guess maybe if you want to go to the playoffs, you know, positioning yourself for the playoffs, but I wanted to see some improvement, and I'm seeing a little bit more than I expected. Well, I think that that speaks to what Brandon, what Brandon Hyde and Mike Elias and Sigma Dell bring to the table. Now, we all heard heard about this, about the analytics and the sabermetrics, and we heard about what, what, what they did in, in Houston. But to see it happen this quickly, I mean, you can just tell that what they're implementing is working. Oh, absolutely. There's no better example than Keegan Aiken. Keegan Aiken at, at Sarasota and uh, at Twin Lakes on the other side of Sarasota for camp, you know, in throwing sessions did not exhibit a great deal of control. And you could see frustration on his face when he would leave the sessions. He just didn't. It wasn't going everywhere, but it wasn't hitting the specific spots, that top up-and-in corner, uh, like high and in to a righty. He just didn't have that snap and that run to make it end up where he wanted it to. Somehow, after a couple weeks at Bowie and doing it against major league hitters, he's showing that exact snap. His breaking pitches are ending up where he wants them to, and he's registering high strikeout totals. So... You know, th- there is so much good going on, and I guess an emphasis on pitching is really needed. And, you know, guys like Lothar, like Aiken, like Zimmerman, hopefully soon like Alexander Wells and Michael Bauman will be just continuing this first wave until we get to Adley and the rest of the nucleus. I mean, these are, it's, it's so exciting for someone like me, even without minor league baseball just to see some of the incremental little things that are happening and, and, and helping form a better foundation. Yeah, you mentioned that first wave already, and uh, what do you think about that second wave? When is that second wave going to be coming around for the O's, and who do you expect to be part of that second wave? Well, you know, I guess I would say 2022 into 2023 is when we see the first bits of that uh I don't, you know, I'm not that good at projecting timelines, but I would expect that 
the draft from 2019 kind of leads it with uh, Adley and with Gunner, and hopefully with the, that number one and two gun for the rotation, Grayson and uh, DL Hall. And I've heard some. I've heard some very good things about their progress physically and with pitch mix uh, from from Bowie this year. So they're they're moving right along. You know the Orioles. I can't see any reason that they're going to rush that second nucleus. So as a fan, I guess we're we're going to have to wait also. But uh, this draft and the last draft would probably form that that foundation. But I would expect it to be led by. By Adley, you know, nothing I've seen, nothing I've read makes me think that he's not going to be a very, very solid and probably all-star major league catcher. That's exciting. Uh, Just the name Adley Rutschman brings a smile to all Baltimore Orioles fans here in Baltimore uh, and and across the country. Anybody who's anybody that knows baseball knows who Adley Rutschman is. They know that he's a future face of this franchise. He's going to be... For all intents and purposes, now we've seen it fizzle out like with Matt Wieters, although he was a very good catcher. People don't give Matt Wieters enough credit. He was a four-time All-Star, four, three-time Gold Glove winner. Doesn't get enough credit. Um, Adley Rutschman, he's going to be an MVP caliber player behind the dish, hitting for power from both sides of the plate with great pop time, great great arm, and great defense. You know, I, I, the Orioles catchers, to me, right now, are a problem. Severino and Cisco, you kind of looked the other way on their defense because they were hitting and they were getting on base. Neither one of them are hitting right now. Neither one of them are getting on base right now. And now it makes it it makes their their defensive shortcomings that much more glaring. Uh, uh-huh. Severino was touted as a great defensive catcher, and now it seems like to me he's put more emphasis on swinging the bat well, and it's taken away from his defense. Yeah, you kind of want to know what happened. What happened this year? You're very satisfied with his bats, but right things that major league catchers do behind the plate rather easily, he kind of is having trouble with. I mean, I, I, I can. What I can say from the catchers that I've, I, I think overall right now, and I study the the minors, you know, probably obsessively. I think the Orioles' depth and talent at catching is probably their best overall position right now. Some of those guys are stuck in the minors, but some of that is because of unique skill sets. Adley is great, but he really is an athlete. So is Maverick Hanley. He's not a large guy. He's more lower body strong than upper body strong, but he's also very fast, extremely fast. One of the fastest guys in the minor league system, and he's a catcher. So there's another unique athlete, Jordan Cannon. He's pretty young. He hasn't reached, uh, I guess, the, the, the mid-minors, but he can hit. He can really hit. I mean, he's got some serious, serious socks. And there's guys even lower than that that I like, you know, three-hitter types that I like. I've always liked the catcher depth, but I, I agree with you uh, this year, and I agree with what you said uh, speculating on 2021 that Hyde has reason to trust uh, Brian Holiday maybe before Adley chronologically if things go wrong with uh, Severino or with Cisco, So I really don't see Adley coming to help that situation even next year, even as a September call-up. You know, it's got his career, his workload has to build also. So he did a lot physically at minor league camp and at spring training. I kind of think the organization 
is going to want to see him do that again because he's probably going to have to do that for quite a few seasons in a row. So just increase that workload before the pressure and the talent of the people around him increases also. I could, I could be totally wrong, but I think they're going to play it slow with, as slow as possible with, with Adley. Well, they're going to play it as slow as possible with Adley until he forces their hand, and, until he makes it obvious that, that, that he, he doesn't need any more seasoning at the minor league level. Uh, I do agree with you that it could be Brian Holiday last year. I think that if the Orioles loved him, he'd have more than 28 at-bats right now. My whole thing is that the Orioles are going to have a rotation next year that's going to be completely different than what we saw this year at the beginning. Uh, and you're going to have Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer, maybe Bruce Zimmerman, maybe Michael Bauman or Zach Lowther uh, in that rotation to go along with Alex Cobb. And you want a strong defensive catcher catching these young pitchers. And that's where I, I, I ask about what is, is Rutschman's timeline pushed up or do they go sign a veteran catcher because I don't think that Severino or Cisco are the guys that, are, that should be catching these guys who, who are big pieces of your future. I agree, especially with the defense helps young pitchers part, and I think that's why uh, Iglesias and potentially behind him next year, Richie Martin, could be very important also. I don't like these balls getting booted and double plays, you know, turning balls that should be double plays turning into zero outs. I don't think that's helping the catcher or the confidence of a 24- or 25-year-old pitcher. I, I, I don't know that there's that defensive stud backstop in the, in the organization right now. Uh, so I guess maybe that's something that could be addressed elsewhere, but... I, I, again, there's so few things that I think are going to rush that, that organizational timeline for that, for that second wave. I think they're still trying to find out where some of those pieces fit uh, exactly. So, you know, it, catcher is, is, is it's a small problem, and it's not helping any of our pitchers, and it might not help our pitchers next year. But on the laundry list of things that, that have been solved or look like they're, they're shaping up better, for me, that's, that's, I don't want to call it a back burner, but I'd rather see the pitchers do well on their own. Yeah, we talk about defense at shortstop. It's so important, obviously. It's really key for these young pitchers. But what do you think about Mason McCoy and his timeline to Baltimore and also how that affects Richie Martin and Jose Iglesias? Uh, did you ask about Mason McCoy? I couldn't really hear Mason, it. Mason McCoy, yeah. Well, I don't know. I've seen him a little. I've seen him drill a lot, and I've seen him play in games. I don't. I don't know how much real confidence I have in him seizing anything and being being a role filler. I guess I'd, ha I'd have to see a little bit more and have his athleticism and his transfer speed and his you know stand up from ground balls increase and proven to me that that can be consistent a little bit you know adam hall is considerably younger he's only 21 but all those things i just said if you watch him a little bit you'll you'll see those things a little bit and he's i get you know people complain about he's not that good of a hitter or he can't drive it with his lower body you know i'm, a, I'm an orioles fan and i'm biased but I, I i don't see that when i see adam hall in the cage he can sock it he can hit line drives he's not hitting at 415 feet but he's just not that kind of hitter. I think that Adam Hall, I, I have high hopes. 
for Adam Hall. I think to I, I think of Brian Roberts when I think of him. Yeah, very uh, fair comparison. So do I. And, and and I think that he might be the Orioles' future at second base. I mean, he only he only played at Delmarva last year, so he still has a as a at, at a minimum two, maybe even three years before he gets up to the major league level. But I think that that guy has a bright future, gets on base. Only 21 years old. Yeah, exactly. And he gets on base, he swipes bags, plays good defense. I think he's got a future here in Baltimore. But with that in mind... Brian Roberts' comparison is even more apt because it looks like when Adam Hall gets to the plate, he's trying to see seven or eight or nine pitches. So, you know, that that's kind of like an old-school skill that's not appreciated anymore. But when you see it, you really like it, and that's what makes me like Adam Hall. He's, he's a pretty solid player. Yeah, he's. I, I think he's got a bright future. Uh, and sticking at second base, and I know that this isn't in the notes that I sent you last night, Eric, but Hansa Alberto has had a really rough 15 games. He's batting 196. I think he's batting about 250 over his last 30 games, which when he when you consider the fact that he doesn't walk, his defense has been has been shaky at best this year. Uh, I think that going into the season and for the first 10, 15, 20 games, the Orioles really saw him as part of as part of their their team moving forward. But do you think that they're reevaluating that, especially if you're going to can have a slick fielder like Richie Martin potentially playing second base next year? Uh, I guess I guess it's hard to say. The the few reps that I saw and the few drill-type settings that I saw, I'd have to say second base, there's just not anybody that's ready right now except for maybe career minor leaguer uh, Jesse Valentin. He's the only one that showed glove in drills that was like, hey, you know, that's a major league. That's a major league glove. There's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I guess <laughs> I'm not, you know, like Stan says, it's not in his pay. I guess if I speculate, they would probably want to get rid of and not pay Alberto, but the replacement could be significantly worse. I've never seen Richie Martin at second base. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm of the mindset that I'll, I'll, I'll test out Richie Martin and give him 600 at bat somewhere. If it's a uh, triple a, or if it's, you know, I'd, I'd, li- I'd like to see what we have in that player. So may- maybe him, but, uh, man, as-, as much as the future, the future, the-, the long-term future might look better at second, the short-term future is just, it's just not right there, you know, right now. They've had other priorities as far as drafting. Well, yeah, they, they, uh, they certainly ha- are very thin. Uh, in the upper levels of the minor leagues at the shortstop and second base position. They did draft Gunnar Henderson. Have you heard anything about how he's doing at the alternate training site down there in Bowie? Because you were really, really high on him. I remember you saying that in spring training at Twin Lakes Park, he was clearly the best player on the field. Yeah, yeah. And um, I actually interviewed him, and it's up on Press Box, basically because you know I wanted to talk to him and get an update you know what? What are you doing? Are you just sitting at home? And what? Like what's what's happening at camp? Why are the players turning out so good? But I also wanted to see, you know, his 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 progress. Are you getting any closer? And yeah, I think I think he's a much 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 better player than people realize. Uh, there's some factors that are, I guess, working against his his name and cachet rising right now. Mainly, we can't watch him play. 
You know, he's the kind of guy, he's an old-school player. If you watch him play, you're going to be impressed, and you're going to like him very quickly, and you're going to realize that the Orioles made some spectacular maneuvers in the 2019 draft to get him. Uh, I think he's, for someone that is so young, he's just 19. Uh, He might just be like the Orioles' Joey Bart, you know, a guy that comes up maybe a whole season before he's ready and just hits the ground running. Uh, There's not a lot of baseball skills he doesn't have. He's fast. He's tall. He's strong. His movements are very athletic, very, very quick, uh, fielding grounders and transferring. Remember, his sport in high school was basketball, not baseball. So sometimes basketball athletes have a little bit more quickness in their jumps. And their, you know, their, their, I guess their torque gathering movement. So Gunner is Gunner is impressive. I just, I wish that more Oriole fans could could see him play because it would not take them long to just realize, you know, this this dude is a dude. He can play. He can do it. Where would you say? And this is our last question because we we got to run to a break. But where would you say that uh, Gunner is going to start his season next year? I wouldn't imagine averaging. Do you think that he leaps to Frederick or Delmarva? Man, I guess you know I'm I'm not I'm I'm not an aggressive guess. I would put him at Delmarva, but what I what I would want is I would want an opportunity for him to get whatever I consider a season load for him, like an uninterrupted season load. I want him to get his full course of at bats, not necessarily have to compete for at bats or compete for innings or be replaced defensively. I want to put a campaign, a full season on him, and and see how he does. Uh, personally, not necessarily statistically. But yeah, I, I would not have a problem sending him to the Eastern Shore and having him at Del Marva and saying, "Hey, you know, you're not yet 20, but you're my two or three hitter, and we're giving you 430 at bats this season." So, yeah. you know, he's he's proven that he's ready. So for for where he is in his development, I guess that's what the Orioles would have expected in the best case scenario. Will this guy be ready for a full workload at twenty? So you know, <laughs> I really like him. I like the Orioles minors, but for for him specifically, I'd say the sky's the limit right now. It seems like, and I thought he really came on strong the second half of the Gulf Coast League down there. That got that got cut a little bit short uh, because of the hurricane. But Eric. Your enthusiasm for Orioles minor league baseball is really, you know, infectious, and we really appreciate you coming on the program. Can't wait to talk to you in this offseason and next spring and summer when we're talking about some more Orioles prospects and some Orioles minor league baseball that will hopefully get back on track next year. Thank you so much for joining the program today. Glad to share the good news, Paul. I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Take care of yourself. Later. All right, and that was Eric Garfield, minor league reporter for Press Box Sports Online, as well as Prospects Live. Just want to remind you, and I know I already told you guys this, but just want to remind you again because it's a big show. Uh, Stan, the fan, Charles, and Ross Grimsley at 8 o'clock on Monday are going to have Dan Duquette on the show. And this is really important because Dan Duquette was the mastermind behind the deal that got the Orioles, Yusniel Diaz, and Zach Pop, but more importantly right now, Dean Kramer. So it's going to be really nice to hear good baseball minds like Stan and Ross pick the brain of Dan Duquette and you know talk some really good baseball with him. I also want to remind you, we're, we are Orioles fans and this is a baseball show, but we also love our Baltimore Ravens. Sucks that we can't be there. I know I'm already itching to get into that stadium and we just can't. 
And if you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them with PressBox's Project Game Day. Glenn Clark, the jack-of-all-trades, is with you at halftime of every game, and he's joined post-game by a panel of experts, which will include Ken Zalis and the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at PressBox.com slash PressBoxSports and post-game at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is the ref's fault all season long. Tomorrow, Glenn and KZ are with you for Baltimore's big game against Houston. That's PressBox's Project Game Day. Every game day this season, brought to you by Wise Markets and the U.S. Army. We're going to get a break. When we're going to come back, we're going to do Go do the payoff pitch around the league. Get a little bit of Orioles banter in before we get Matt Kremnitzer of PressBox Online uh, on the the show to talk a little bit more about Orioles baseball. Glory Days Grill's Oktoberfest menu is available now. Our fall seasonal menu is available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new chicken schnitzel or the delicious Prussian pretzel rolls. Glory Days is open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. If you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them. With PressBox's Project Game Day, I'm Glenn Clark, and I'm with you at halftime of every game. And then I'm joined post-game by a panel of experts, including Ken Zalis and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and post-game also at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is just the ref's fault all season long that's press boxes project game day every game day this season brought to you by wise markets and the u.s army if you're looking to make an impact there's no better place to do that than the u.s army whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases develop technologies or seek adventures across the globe the army is where all of that can happen and so much more the army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win ask yourself What's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. 
The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. It's good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Yeah. Le Champion! Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. All right, welcome back to the Battle Round, which I just want to remind you is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. I also, man, specialist. Oh my God, that sounded terrible, guys. I'm so, I'm, I'm so, so sorry for that. Moving on, uh, we have a lovely model in here right now. Yes. That's Zach Goodman modeling the masks. And since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. Pressbox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter that Zach is modeling for us right now, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks, not CDC approved, but they're perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com slash masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash masks to get yours now. Zach, you look awesome. Brilliant job. But you can take that thing off your face now. I think we're good. Sounds good. Appreciate you, buddy. Now it's time for the payoff pitch around the league. Bryce Harper homered for the third time in seven games, and Zach Eflin struck out nine in a seven-inning complete game as the Phillies blanked the Blue Jays 7-0 in game one of a twin bill. Bryce Harper stayed red hot in game two, going three for three, including a game-tying two-run double in the home half of the sixth inning to highlight a three-run frame as the Phillies handed the Blue Jays their fifth straight loss, 8-7. The Pirates fell to a major league worst, 15-35, as Trevor Williams gave up five runs in four and a third innings pitch to drop his record to 1-8 in a 6-5 loss to the Cardinals. Talk about a guy who's happy they're only playing 60 games this year. In Game 2, the Cardinals took advantage of two Pirate errors in the 6th, scoring 6 times to take a 7-2 lead, a score that will hold true the rest of the game as St. Louis got back to 500 to hold on to the 8th and final playoff seed in the National League. Eric Fetty allowed one hit in six shutout innings, and the Nats banged out 10 hits en route to beating the Marlins 5-0 in the first of two Friday night. In the nightcap, Brian Anderson homered three times and drove in seven as the Marlins walloped the Nationals 14-3. Joey Votto collected three hits, including his 10th home run to lead the Reds over the White Sox 7-1. Zach Plesak struck out 11 in 7 and 2 thirds shutout innings, and Brad, Hyde, Brad Hand tied Liam Hendricks for the, for the Major League lead with his 13th save as Cleveland shut out Detroit 1-0. Wilson Contreras' RBI single in the first held up, and Kyle Hendricks struck out 10 in 8 shutout innings as the Cubs blanked the Twins 1-0. The Braves hit six home runs, including two by Ozzie Albies en route to a 15-2 throttling of the Mets. 
Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger both homered and drove in three as the as the Dodgers rolled against the Rockies 15-6. Cole Calhoun homered twice and drove in four to lead the Diamondbacks over the Astros 6-3. Christian Yelich homered in a six-run fourth inning, and the Brewers took care of the Royals 9-5. Manny Machado hit his National League-leading 15th and 16th home runs and drove in four to firmly cement himself as an MVP frontrunner as the Padres beat the Mariners 6-1. Albert Pujols, and we probably should have mentioned this way earlier, hit homers number 661 and 662 to pass Willie Mays for fifth all-time, and the Angels followed suit, beating the Rangers 6-2. Big, big night for Albert Pujols. Hits two home runs, passes Willie Mays. It's an Orioles show, so we didn't talk about it, but, man, what an achievement, what a milestone. Hats off. Kudos and congratulations to Albert Pujols for a long Hall of Fame career and for passing one of the all-time greats on the all-time home run list. Matt Olson hit a three-run homer, and A's pitching limited the Giants to three hits in a 6 to nothing shutout victory. Down to their last out, Gary Sanchez homered as part of a two-RBI night, and the Yankees won in 12, 6-5 for their ninth straight victory, beating the Red Sox again last night, 6 to five. All right, we have some great games on tap for Saturday, as always. Starting off at the four o'clock hour, we've got West Coast baseball for the Giants and the A's. Moving on to the six o'clock hour, the playoff bound Blue Jays battle the Phillies. The third place Indians will go up against the fourth place Tigers. An NL East matchup of the Nats and the Marlins, two teams that have surprised in very different ways this year. Going on to the seven o'clock hour, we have a divisional battle of the Cardinals and the Pirates. The Cardinals are in the playoff hunt this year. A more another NL East at matchup with Acuna's Braves taking on the Mets. The dominating White Sox will take on the Reds. The White Sox are having another incredible year. The Royals and the Brewers will go to battle. The Brewers have had a tough year, definitely disappointing for their fans. Arizona's Diamondbacks will battle the Houston Astros, who are many games back in their division. It's quite surprising. Uh, a classic rivalry of the Sox and the Yanks. The Yanks are red hot, but it's always a great watch. And the O's will face the Rays. The Rays will also look to stay red hot. Moving on to the 8 o'clock hour, we have the powerful Dodgers visiting Coors Field to face the Rockies. Always a good display of long balls there. Twins and the Cubs in a true marquee matchup at 8.15. And finally, in the 9 o'clock hour, we have the bottom-dwelling Rangers and Trout's Angels going at it. And then the last game of the night with the Manny Machado's Padres, the electrifying Padres, and the Mariners. Manny Machado. I love him. I can't talk about him enough. I think I've probably talked about him enough. I love him too, no doubt. He's great. But, but again, he is the MVP front runner. And if he is not, it's because they don't like him. The, somebody tweeted me and said Freddie Freeman's stat line is much more impressive. Freddie Freeman's having a hell of a year. He's having a hell of a year. But you don't get the defensive value there that you get with Manny Machado. And he's, a, he's a solid defensive first baseman, but Manny Machado is otherworldly defensively at third base. I think he's having the his best season, and it stinks for him that it's happening in a 60-game year. But the, the, I, I put this right up there with what he was doing in 2018 in the first half of the season for the Orioles before he got traded. When he had 24 home runs, he was batting about 314 when he got traded to the Dodgers. He is having a show-out year and proving that he is worth every penny of that $300 million contract he signed last offseason before the 2019 season. But moving back to Orioles baseball, I'm not going to talk about former Orioles anymore for the time being. Austin Hayes 
I was not impressed with him to start the year. Didn't realize he was playing with a broken rib, but still wasn't impressed with him before he broke the rib. But since his return from the from the injured list, he's hitting, he's slashing 316, 381, 526. He's got three multi-hit games, and even his outs have been loud. And it's like like we thought Manny was watching the show when we were talking about how poor he's been, and then he went off. Was Austin Hayes listening to the show? Because last week, all we were t- all I was talking about was how Cedric Mullins is giving him a fight, and th- that center field job is not guaranteed to be his next next spring. And he's come back and has looked like the player that we saw last September. Anybody who knows me knows Austin Hayes is easily one of my favorite players in baseball. I just love the five-tool potential that he brings to the table. He has so much power. He's a guy who can play all around the outfield. He's got speed. He's got you know an insane catches out there, a great arm. I love his arm. It plays anywhere. He's just an amazing player, and I really love the potential that Austin Hayes brings to the table. He's had injury issues. He hasn't been able to stay on the field, and he hasn't looked that consistent with the bat. Throughout the minors, he was always kind of a you know, streaky hitter would go on this two-week tear and then be the worst player ever for another two weeks. So that's just Austin Hayes. That's what he does. But he has shown right now that he's healthy and the pressure's off him. He's batting at the bottom of the order. He doesn't feel like he has to carry the team. There are other offensive, you know, uh, guys that are providing these contributions that Austin Hayes doesn't feel like he has to anymore. And I think that's where Austin Hayes really takes the leap, and that's why he's, he's playing so much better than he was. Yeah, it, it's it's certainly nice to see. Um, I agree with you. I think he's a streaky hitter. Now, when he got, I wasn't impressed with his first the first half of his minor league season last year. He came on strong towards the end. I didn't think that he played well enough last year to warrant that September call up, but he came up. And you know what? Playing in the big leagues, getting big league coaching, seeing big league pitching is certainly if you have the right temperament. If you have the right temperament, there, there are some people that can't handle it and it stunts their growth, like <coughs> Brian Mattis. Um, but Austin Hayes probably benefited him more coming to the big leagues for that final month than going to play in the Arizona Fall League, which was the original plans for, for him. I, and a guy like, from what we're hearing, Adley Rutschman and some of these guys that were down at the alternate training site, the professional big league coaching that you're getting you can't replicate it. It's why you see guys who never hit more than 13, 14 home runs in the minors come up to the majors and they hit 30 homers. Manny never put up a 20-homer season in the minor leagues. You thought that Manny was going to be a doubles hitter. He comes up and by his third season, he's hitting 35 home runs. You know, it's it's you can't replicate the 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 professional coaching and the big league caliber of coaching that you get. And I think that it is important for Austin Hayes that he got up here last year in September. This year he started off a little bit slow. But what I worry about is that we're seeing more September Austin Hayes. And that that's kind of – Buck Showalter always used to say, don't get fooled by what you see in September and don't get fooled by what you see in spring training, like Jake Fox. Uh, so I worry that he's getting hot in September. Is he a September player? Or is this somebody that can do this throughout the entire season? It remains to be seen, but certainly have to like what we're seeing so far. Yeah, you might have a guy here who just feeds off energy. You know, he, he's trying to win his job back. He knows that Cedric Mullins has played really well. And maybe he's feeding off that energy that, wow, I got to get back. I got to reclaim my spot. And it, it's energized him and inspired him to play well. And I think that may be part of it. But I think it's also that he just gets hot at these certain times and he doesn't stop hitting when he gets hot. Sort of like Ren- Renato Nunez is another guy who really does that a lot. 
But Hayes just needs to stay consistent. He needs to stay on the field and show that he can be a player because I think he can. I really think he's a possibility for that future World Series team when it comes in the next four or five years here. I, I think he can be on it. He's just got to stay healthy. He's got to stop playing so hard. He plays like his pants are on fire. I mean, the guy runs around like crazy and dives and runs into walls. And that is something that he maybe needs to slow down a little bit. Slow the game down. Try to just find your pitch. Don't swing at everything. And just try to play like you know you can because he is a five-tool player. Yeah, and he's got he's to gotta prove that he belongs here for the long haul because you have guys like Hudson Haskins. You have guys like Heston Kerstad, both who just got drafted this year. Haskins is a center fielder. Kerstad's going to play in right field or left field. You... You, you have Ryan McKenna, who the Orioles really like. The Orioles are pretty stacked in the outfield, and Austin Hayes needs to find a way to stand out from the crowd so that he can keep a spot in that outfield because in three years, and he's still a young guy, in three years, he might not be here. So he needs to do something, and so far, his last his September last year, September this year, he's showing that he belongs. Now he just has to stretch that out over a full season. Just want to remind everybody that the Bat Around is coming to you live on PressBoxOnline.com slash the Bat Around. We're also live on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Please like our show. Please share our show. That's how we get viewers. That's how we get sponsors. That's how we have a show. So if you're listening, if you're watching right now, send the link to your friends. Please like, share, and help us out because we want to keep talking Orioles baseball for as long as they let us. And if you keep watching, they're going to keep letting us. Uh, we're going to have Matt Kremnitzer from Pressbox Online, uh, from PressBoxOnline.com, uh, talking to us about the Orioles here in just a little bit. But I do want to talk a little bit more about some Orioles players right now before Zach does his live read. Hanser Alberto, in his last 15 games, he's hitting 196. He's hitting 254 over his last 30 games. Uh, then I'm, I'm looking at a guy in Renato Nunez, 176 his last 15, 204 his last 30. And then you look at Pedro Severino, two for his last 22, 209 his last 15 games. Chance Sisko, he had three hits the last two games, but he's hitting just 205 in his last 15 games. And Brian Holiday, one for his last 12 and batting 179 on the year. Zach, these guys, I remember Bill Ripken put up a, a thing on MLB Network showing that the Orioles' four hitters in Santander, Alberto, Nunez, and Severino were doing better than the Dodgers' top four of Seager, Bellinger, Betts, and I want to say it was Muncie. And it, it, was a, it was an amazing stat. These guys, boy, have they cooled off. Boy, have they cooled off to the point where Hanser Alberto, he could be fighting for a job next year. Renato Nunez, I think he could also be fighting for a job because with Trey Mancini coming back, I don't, I don't think there's a fit for him on this roster, especially when you have more DH and outfield types uh, in Mountcastle and DJ Stewart. What's going on with these guys? Was it just a hot streak, or, and this is more who they are? They just all collectively slumping for an extended period together. Yeah, clearly Austin Hayes isn't the only streaky hitter on this team. There's a lot of them. There's definitely a lot of guys that get really hot at the same time, and that was where I think the Orioles found their success at the beginning of the year. But every guy on this team is on the hot seat in a sense. There is a guy to replace every single guy on this team. And I think with the Orioles having to add all of these guys to the 40-man next year to protect them from Rule 5 status, it's going to be 
they're going to be replaced soon. I mean, you look at Mason McCoy. We've talked about him over and over, but he could easily take an infield shot next year. And, and, you know, Iglesias, we'll see what happens with his contract. But there are a lot of guys that are on the hot seat for sure. Alberto's cooled down a bit, and Nunez as well. So we'll just see what happens. But it's you can't be a streaky hitter in the majors. You've got to hit the whole way through. And, uh, you know, hopefully the Orioles have some replacements for some of these guys. Well, with that in mind... Zach's going to give us a little bit of a live read for the Press Box print edition while I get Matt Kremnitzer on the line to talk some more Orioles baseball. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka profiles potential breakout Ravens star Hollywood Brown and the relationship he's developed with Lamar Jackson, a fellow South Florida native. Also inside, Bill Ordine helps remember legendary superfan Mo Gabba and Luke Jackson looks at the challenge the Ravens will have to keep their roster together long term. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBox.com. All right. Thank you for that lovely live read. Go pick up your uh, PressBox print edition at over 500 locations uh, with uh, Hollywood Brown and Lamar Jackson on the cover right now. Right now on the line, we have Matt Kremnitzer of PressBox Online. He uh, writes about the Orioles. Matt, how are you today? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. Having a lot of fun doing a show today. What did you think of that? Uh, of the first three games of that Tampa Bay series? Uh, not so great. Um, just kind of shows you how dominant uh, the Rays pitching staff is. Uh, just how talented that team is overall. And you know, maybe something to shoot for uh, you know, the next couple years as the Orioles keep accumulating more talent. Uh, you know, it's something that uh, maybe the Orioles could look like in the future. At least, you know, it'd be nice to see them back in first place and having a nice pitching staff, a solid lineup uh, overall. I mean, there's not not too many negative things you can say about the Rays. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I firmly agree. I think the 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 Rays, especially for a, an Orioles team that's not really going to be able to spend a ton of money, I think that they're um, that they're a blueprint for what the Orioles hope to become. And the Rays have had pretty su- sustained success since 2008. I, I think they've only had a, th- a few losing seasons since then. They always seem to bounce right back. You mentioned uh, some younger players are going to be coming up and taking the reins for the Orioles, Matt. And there's going to be some roster crunches for next year. And one of the ones that I want to talk about, we almost made it through an entire show without talking about it, but we can't not. It's Chris Davis. And he went on the injured list earlier this year with knee tendonitis, came back for one game, and then went right back on the IL. Dan Connolly wrote an article for The Athletic. He thinks that he's done in Baltimore. Rockabotko thinks the Orioles are inclined to keep him at least in the early going next year. Uh, those are two guys that you can trust when it comes to the Orioles. I think that Rock is the guy. Um, so I tend to lean towards him, and that's no slight to Dan Connolly. It's just it's Rockabotko. You know, what can we realistically expect with the handling of Chris Davis moving forward? Yeah, so uh, good good points bringing up uh, Connolly and, and what Rock said. Um, Connolly's uh, piece was more of an opinion piece, uh, I believe. Um, just maybe his opinion of, of how things are going. And with Rock, I mean, Rock wouldn't write, I don't think, you know, for, for Masson, Rock would really write uh, an opinion piece like that. It was more, this is maybe what he's hearing from someone. Uh, and it, it makes sense if you think about it. Um, why would they just cut him now if there's a possibility of uh, more games possibly being canceled next season and, and the team being able to save money? Uh, that's not really something that fans want to hear. Fans are 
uh, for the most part, uh, there are some fans that, that still like seeing Davis. Uh, he's a good person, however, you, however you want to say. But the main point is he's not he's not uh, doing well on the field, and he's borderline. I mean, it's not even borderline. He's unplayable. Um, the only thing that he can say that he does well is he's a, a per, he's pretty good at first base uh, picking balls. Um, he's he's good at scooping throws. Uh, he doesn't have the range anymore. You can see it when he's running the bases as well. He's just not as athletic as he used to be. I mean, he's been a first baseman for a long time. But you know, he's pretty athletic for a first baseman and a big guy, um, and you just don't see those traits anymore. Um, so in terms of what we can look forward to, uh, I would probably lean towards Rock, just like you. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's still around come spring training. Um, this whole offseason uh, dealing with people asking questions again, it seems like we're going to go through that again as long as there's, there's the possibility of uh, you know, the, the pandemic, COVID, possibly canceling games next year. Uh, it's, it's frustrating. Um, even if he's still on the roster um, and, and maybe not blocking anyone, just having him on the team just seems kind of like a drag. Hey, Matt, it's uh, Zach Goodman, and I, I want to talk about Chris Davis's contract for a minute because obviously this is one of the issues about cutting Chris Davis. Contracts are something that a lot of us you know, don't really talk about too much because they're very, very specific in a lot of the things, but how much money ballpark would the Orioles save if they kept Chris Davis around for another half year or so? Uh, so I don't have his contract up in front, um, but if he's not, if, so if he's around for next season, um, I mean, it would save half of it next season. Um, I, I can't, I can't remember exactly how much is deferred. He has so much deferred money coming to him. It's kind of Bonilla, like uh, Bobby Bonilla, like, uh, over the next, I think, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, so it would just, we're really just talking about what he's owed, uh, next season. So whatever whatever he's owed next season, it would just be half of that if, if half the games get canceled or so. Um, so you know, that'd be good for the Orioles if they're looking to save some money, but uh, I don't think fans would be super excited to see him in the, ever really in the lineup again or even really on the roster. Well, even, even coming into this year, you could justify keeping him on the roster because you owe him all that money. He had three years left coming into this year, and you know, especially when, when Trey Mancini got sick, you don't really. He's not blocking anybody by playing first base. Now he's blocking people. Now, now he's blocking people. You know, Mancini will, will be back next year. He's probably going to play first base every day. Uh, Mountcast will get his chances over there. The outfield is in t- is is incredibly crowded. And while we're on that, you, you're going to have Mountcastle, Stewart, Santander, Hayes, Mullins uh, in the mix for the outfield next year, including Mancini. And that's before you bring up Yasniel Diaz and Ryan Mc- McKenna. Davis, I would imagine, has to be the odd man out, but there's got to be another guy who's an odd man out too. What are your thoughts on that, Matt? Uh, so in terms of Davis not blocking anyone, I, I agree. I mean, really, it, it wasn't a huge issue until Mountcastle uh, you know, was permit, promoted, promoted to the majors. Um, but even still, I mean, would you rather see Chris Davis or Renato Nunez at first base, even, even with Nunez's uh, defensive issues. I mean, at least there's a possibility of Nunez getting better. I don't think Chris Davis can really get better at anything at this point. So, it, you know, it, it wasn't really blocking a, a prospect of note, but it was still frustrating to see him uh, in the lineup. Um, in terms of, uh, I think a lot of it's up in the air right now. I mean, there's only there's only a handful left in the season, and we're still really learning about guys like, is DJ Stewart close to this good? Is Austin Hayes going to be able to hit? Um, is, is Mullins on base uh, abilities right now for real? I mean, it, it really helps that, that he's bunting for hits a lot. Um, how much of that is for real? Because 
you like to have uh, Mullins and Hayes, their gloves in the lineup. Um, but there are guys that, like, you know, like you mentioned, that are right behind them. And Diaz, uh, maybe McKenna to a fourth outfielder kind of extent. I don't, I don't know if he's really a, a starter. There, there's still a lot to learn about him, too. Um, but a lot of things up in the air, and it's kind of a shame that there wasn't, uh, you know, the season wasn't longer because a lot of these guys just need playing time and they need to stay in the field. Well, DJ Stewart was making a case to be one of those guys who need who needed playing time. He had seven home runs in the span of about seven or eight games. Really was tearing the cover off the ball, but now he's slumping again. Just four for his last twenty nine with a, with I believe thirteen strikeouts over that stretch. I know that he's not the guy who hit seven home runs in, in eight days. I, I know that's not the player that he is. But I also don't think he's the four for twenty nine guy or the guy that started zero for seventeen with with eleven Ks. Who is DJ Stewart, Matt, and what can we realistically expect from him moving forward with the Orioles? Somewhere in the middle. I mean, he's not the guy who would just not have a hit for, for a few weeks to start the season, but he does seem to have those on-base skills. And what he's showing now is the power. I mean, like, like you mentioned, is he the guy who's just going to keep hitting home run after home run like this? No, that's probably not him. But he's comp- you know, usually pretty competent in the field, and if he can combine some of those on-base skills with some of the power, then he's still playable. Um, I don't know if he's a starting outfielder um, with Santander, Mullins, Hayes, and then Diaz in the mix, and then uh, like you know with Mountcastle in left field, he's actually looked pretty good uh, for what, what you know what we were told about uh, his skills in left field. He, it seemed like he did a lot of work in Bowie. Uh, a lot of the work they did with the coaches clearly seems to pay off. And I honestly didn't know that Mountcastle was that athletic. He gets down the line really fast. Um, so they, they do have some options there, and I could see Stewart getting pushed out. But, I mean, there's no hurry to get rid of a lot of these guys. I mean, there's still going to be time next season for them to kind of figure things out. But uh, it might be a little tough to get at bats to all of them if they're all healthy. But the, the thing is, too, I mean, Austin Hayes hasn't showed that he can stay healthy. Um, maybe not Santander either. He's had two... You know, relatively serious injuries now um, with the, the, the shorter issues the previous season as well, and then now with uh, the oblique. Uh, so hopefully he can stay on the field as well. But it, it seems like one of those things where it's going to play itself out. But it's nice to have those options for once. Yeah, it's definitely nice to have the options where you have too many good players. I agree with you. These things tend to work themselves out. Um, you said, would you rather have Davis or Nunez over at first base? Matt, i got to be honest, and I've said this a few times on this show in the past, I think Nunez is an odd man out for the Orioles. I don't think that he has a spot on this team much longer. And I could actually, I could honestly see him getting traded by the deadline next year. I just don't think he hits well enough to warrant his defense. I don't think his defense is good enough to 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 keep him in the lineup when he's not hitting. And he's had a couple of a few game streaks where he hit a few home runs, but for the most part, he's just been cold all year. Oh, I, I agree completely. Um, and you know, it, it, to say all that, those things about Nunez really tells you how bad Davis has been. Yeah. Um, and we're talking all this about uh, the, the outfielders, and we haven't even talked really about Trey Mancini yet. And mostly that's because if if everything goes well with his cancer recovery, and he's able to play next season to, to start the year in particular, he he should be the first baseman uh, most of the time. You figure. The Orioles like Mountcastle in left field, but they probably also want to mix him in at first base and, and designate a hitter as well. Uh, who knows if they're just going to throw Mancini into the fire and having him play every single day. I mean, we just don't know enough about next season right now. 
Um, but there are a lot of guys in the mix for at-bats when it comes to corner outfield and also first base. So having Davis around, I mean, really he would just be sitting on the bench uh, if, if rosters are expanded. If they're not expanded, I just don't know how you can just keep him for half the season, or let alone the whole season. Right, right. Now, let's talk about a little bit more exciting things other than, you know, Davis and Nunez struggling. Um, the Orioles' young rotation right now, Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer, namely, they've they've burst onto the scene Uh Aiken, to me, just has had that bulldog mentality, is dotting his fastball, and you can tell when he gets locked in that he looked almost unhittable against the Braves in his last start. And then you look at Dean Kramer, he's one of two pitchers in Major League history to have five or more innings pitched with four four or fewer hits, one or fewer runs, and six or more strikeouts in each of his first three starts to start his career. The other one, former Orioles prospect Eduardo Rodriguez, Everybody expects Dean Kramer is going to be a rotation piece, but a lot of people were thinking of Keegan Aiken as a bullpen piece moving forward. But I think he solidified a spot in his rotation, if not just for next year, maybe for the foreseeable future. How do you feel about Keegan Aiken? Am I maybe just drinking a little too much of the Kool-Aid right now? No, I think uh, that's, that's a good point. I mean, they've, they both look fantastic. I mean, Kramer is 24, Aiken is 25. The Orioles are not going to be in any rush to... Uh, push them out of rotation, uh, a, a possible rotation spot. I mean, uh, what they've showed towards the end of this season has been maybe the most exciting part of the year, besides uh, what Mountcastle has done and, you know, a few other things here and there, uh, Stewart's resurgence, uh, Iglesias uh, just hitting like a, a middle-of-the-order hitter, which I don't think anybody anticipated. Um, but Aiken has looked fantastic. Uh, it was some concern uh, with him knocking out of the, the first inning in that start against the Yankees. But other than that, he's been really good. Uh, he's been mixing in his pitches. He's been attacking. I think that's something that uh, Brandon Hyde and Doug Brocale talk a lot about, um, having a plan and just attacking, uh, going after the hitters, not walking leadoff guys, uh, just, just things like that that we've seen so much over the years from Orioles pitchers, particularly young pitchers who weren't ready. Um, a lot of fans wanted to see these guys earlier in, in the offseason, the same with Mountcastle, but you can say that a lot of the work that they're doing at Bowie, I mean, it's, it's paying off. Um, these guys are coming in, they're producing, they look ready right now, and heading into next season, I mean, you can slot these guys in as long as they're healthy. It, it, it's just fantastic and something that fans have been waiting a long time for. Well, I think that one of the more important things that we have to take from Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer is Keegan Aiken has done this. He's only started against the top offenses in baseball, and you're talking about the Yankees twice, um, the Braves, and the Blue Jays. And he's He's looked dominant in three of those four outings. And the other one, the, the fourth outing, really, the defense really let him down. He should have gotten out of that first inning with a one to nothing lead. Instead, he leaves after two-thirds of an inning pitched, allowing four runs and throwing 34 pitches. Kramer, what you like about him is his first major league start was against the Yankees. Okay, maybe they don't have a lot of tape on him. Maybe they don't know what to expect from him. But then he goes out and he faces them again a week later, and he stymies them again. And you you have to love that that this that the New York Yankees saw him twice and still couldn't figure him out. Yeah, no question. I mean, look what the Yankees just did to the Blue Jays pitching staff. Uh, yeah. They had like 100 home runs in, in that series. If you were going to pick up one team for the Orioles' young starters to look good against, I mean, you'd probably pick the Yankees, right? Maybe the Red Sox, maybe the Rays, maybe another really good offensive team. But looking good against the Yankees is a great sign. And uh, your point is also really good about the defense letting some of these guys down. Uh, I don't think the Orioles ever anticipated for Andrew Velasquez or uh, Pat Vileka to get so many 
uh, reps and at shortstop this year. I mean, with, with Iglesias, uh, he, at least he's been hitting well, but he hasn't been able to play in the field a lot, and he's probably the Orioles' best fielder at any position, uh, maybe arguably with, with, with you know talking about Mullins or, or something like that, depending on how good you think he is. Um, but Iglesias is a known really good fielder, and it's, it's hurt the defense not to have him in there night after night. Um, and a lot of the other positions have been shaky as well. Ruiz it makes really good plays at times, but he also has made some bad throws at times. It's really hurt the team. Um, he, he looks like an average defender, which is, is an upgrade over some of the other spots. Um, but it's it's been a little frustrating uh, to see the defense hurt these guys at times. They're, they're still, you know, uh, pretty good plays by Mullins. It's nice to have Hayes' speed in left field. Um, but, yeah, the defense has been a factor sometimes. But it's still good that these young guys have worked through that. And, like you said, they've been good against good teams. Well, another young pitcher who's having success with the Orioles this year is Carson Fulmer. And he was the eighth overall pick in the draft in 2015. Uh, he's ha, has not pitched well in his major league career, didn't pitch well in the minors either as a full-time starter. Now he's become a full-time reliever with the Orioles. Three games, three and two-thirds innings pitched, two walks, four Ks. He's yet to allow a hit or a run with the Orioles. Now, I've heard people say that he has some of the top spin rates for his fastball and for his curveball. What is going on with Carson Fulmer? Is this another you know, glimpse into what the Orioles can do with young, with young pitchers once they get them into the fold? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, they've, they've tried to do similar things with, with Jorge Lopez. Uh, in particular, his last start looked really good. So maybe they've tried to found it. They've maybe found another bullpen piece and Fulmer. I mean, he's only 26, and you mentioned how bad he's been before this year. I mean, he has an e- a cre- career ERA over six in about 100 innings. Uh, lots of walks, lots of homers allowed. Uh, just hasn't been very good overall. And uh, so I've, you know, I was looking at uh, into him a little bit, and I found an interview that he had with Steve Molesky. Uh, the Orioles brought him in. It seems like they made some minor mechanical adjustments, and they also discussed. Uh, he discussed his his cutter a little bit. Uh, early this year with the Tigers, he kind of got away from his cutter a bit, um, and it seems like uh, it, you know he's only thrown about three three point two innings for the Orioles so far. But it, it, he's using his cutter again, and that seems to be helping. But in terms of uh, the high spin rate, um, he does have that. It, it hasn't really helped him in the past. It hasn't really been uh, maybe uh, spin rate efficiency to where it's nice that he's getting that spin, but you know is, is the ball moving a lot? Um, and it, the Orioles are probably trying to get more out of him uh, with those minor mechanical adjustments uh, it, of things that I've seen. Uh, I, the one noticeable thing was uh, out of the stretch. It seemed like if you watched him in, in previous years with the White Sox and then earlier this year with the Tigers, uh, he kind of bends his back leg uh, a significant amount. And at least what I've seen so far, he's kind of got away from that a little bit. Um, it doesn't seem like there's anything uh, where he's holding the ball, anything like that, release point. It's mostly about the same. We'll, we'll see in his next few starts and then if he's, if he's around next year, what else they kind of change with him. Um, but maybe just w- more of what they've been doing where uh, they play to a guy's strength. Uh, they want him feeling comfortable. Uh, they just show them the data, and then the player just kind of goes from there uh, to, to see what they can do and be more efficient. So maybe this is something that, that he'll do. He hasn't allowed a lot of hit yet, but he has walked two guys. But uh, it's been promising so far, and there's definitely room for, for a guy like him to, to kind of step up and, and take over a role you know those kind of early innings where where Lakins and some other some other guys like that have done okay, but uh, you know those those early innings in the, the fifth and sixth uh, where they need uh, some more pitching to to be competent. So maybe he's one of those guys. 
Yeah, he's been really good in the bullpen, but I think there's a chance the Orioles could possibly stretch him out in spring training and maybe get a few four-inning starts out of him or make him sort of an opener kind of thing. I want to get your thoughts on that, if the Orioles could possibly stretch him out. Yeah, it, it, you know, it kind of mirrors what they're doing with Lopez as well. Um, he's not the guy who throws like in the high 90s. He's, he's someone who sits around 93, so maybe fatigue isn't a super big issue with him. Uh, he's also commented that he wants to get back to starting. I mean, that, that's what he was brought up as uh, when, when he first started with the, the White Sox. When he came up in 2016, he just pitched out of the bullpen. But the next couple of years, he got some starts. So I don't think the Orioles would discourage that. But it's more of uh, what what is best for him. What what how can they get the most out of him for him to succeed? And at least right now, it seems like it's out of the bullpen. Uh, but if he keeps pitching well, then he could play himself into a role. Well, and this is a guy who's never pitched more than thirty-two and a third innings in a season. So it's not like he's gotten exactly a fair shake at the major league level. His minor league number his minor league numbers are pretty glaring. He wasn't very successful as a starter in the minor leagues. But there's a reason he was drafted eighth overall. The guy's got a good arm, and hopefully the Orioles can, you know, find lightning in a bottle with him, just like they did with Lopez and what they seem to be doing with a lot of these guys, especially at their alternate training site. Matt. You've done a great segment. We really appreciate you coming on the program. Before we let you go, Zach and I do a little segment every week that we call Take to Rake, where we pick an offensive player. We each pick an offensive player that we expect or that we think is going to have a big week. There's no prize here. It's just bragging rights. You're a guest on the show, so we're going to let you take the first pick for Take to Rake. Who do you think is going to have a big week for the Orioles this week? All right, so let's not go with someone who's obvious like Mountcastle or even Stewart or Iglesias. Uh, I'm going to pick Austin Hayes. Uh, mostly, I mean, he just homered, so maybe it's cheating a little bit. But he really needs to show uh, this next week uh, something. Um, it's been a frustrating year. He got hurt. You know, he wasn't pr- producing at the plate. He got hurt. So maybe the next week he'll, he'll do a really good job and, and kind of leave us with, a, you know, something positive to, to think about him heading into next year. Damn it, Matt, that was going to be my pick. Might as well. <laughs> All three of us are on the same page here with Austin Hayes. Matt got the pick first. So, Matt, you could be our third guest winner here. Thanks so much for coming on the program, man. Really great segment. We're going to talk to you soon, all right? All right, sounds great. Thanks, guys. All right, man, have a great weekend. Thank you. See you. You too. All right, that was Matt Kremnitzer of PressBoxOnline.com. He, he's a beat writer for the Orioles for PressBox. Does a great job for them. Always good to have him on the program. Uh, really knowledgeable guy. i got to tell you, I asked him if he could talk last night about Carson Fulmer, and he said that he wasn't able to watch last night's game. He didn't know much about him. That dude went and watched video on him, read articles, and did a ton of research on him before he came on the program this morning. He did that in the last 12 hours. That was damn impressive. That was damn impressive. Kudos to you, Matt Kremnitzer. Thank you again for joining the program. We are going to get... Well, first and foremost, we are going to pay some bills. Again, I want to remind you that, that the bat around is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. And now I want to ask you kind of a personal question, kind of a personal question. Do you need your fantasies fulfilled? Or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway? PressBox's own Ken Zalas is the number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country, and he joins Glenn and Kyle every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the PressBox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, or watch the show and get your own fantasy questions in at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. 
That's the Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalis every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by CCBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. Also, want to give our good friend Glenn Clark another little bit of a plug here. Every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via PressBox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on D- on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Buck Showalter. Love that guy. Patrick Ricard and CBS's Kevin Harlan before he calls Ravens-Texans tomorrow. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. we got to get our final break, and when we come back, we are going to do everybody's favorite Take to rake. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. PressBox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch net gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple net gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son... We're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. (laughs) Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Need your fantasies fulfilled, or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway? I'm Ken Zalis, and if you missed it, I was Fantasy Pro's number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country last year. And I'm with you every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the PressBox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, or watch the show and get your fantasy questions in at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. That's the PressBox Fantasy Football Show with me, Ken Zalis, every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by C. CCBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. Baltimore's favorite bar, Sliders Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Sliders is open, and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32-ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Sliders' carryout menu, and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443-835-0906 or 410-547-8891 or visit SlidersBaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer at Sliders. 
For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka profiles potential breakout Ravens star Hollywood Brown and the relationship he's developed with Lamar Jackson, a fellow South Florida native. Also inside, Bill Ordeen helps remember legendary superfan Mo Gabba, and Luke Jackson looks at the challenge the Ravens will have to keep their roster together long term. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Not going to say it this week. Not going to say it this week. I'll say it for you. It's some great Glenn Clark music. Yeah. Uh, uh, Zach, you can say it. I say it every week. People are probably tired of hearing of it if they're listening right now. I, I assume that they are. Um, so I'm not going to say it, but thank you for saying it. Awesome. Um, all right. We're going to close the show. Running a little bit long today, but that's okay. Um, that happens sometimes. I know Glenn does it all the time, too. So whatever. We're running a little bit long today, but... We have to get take the rake in. You can't skip take the rake. Absolutely. So we got we got to get it in. So last week on take the rake, I had a win by default. I took Pedro Severino. He hit two eighty six over the week, four hits and fourteen. Um, yeah, four hits and fourteen at bats, but nothing noteworthy. But nobody else had a good week either. So I got to pick first last week. I took DJ Stewart. Stewart went four for twenty nine with. A double, a home run, six RBIs, and 11 strikeouts. Zach, you took Hanser Alberto, four for 26, a double, a home run, three RBIs, and eight strikeouts. Glenn, Glenn Clark took Ryan Mountcastle, seven for 27, a home run, two doubles, seven RBIs, 11 Ks. Glenn wins. Glenn wins based on hits, extra base hits, RBIs, just the second guest winner. The first was Eric Arditi way back at the beginning of the season. Says Say way back. It was like six weeks ago. But Eric Arditi is the only other winner. So right now, Vasilios, my uh, fill-in co-host until we found the wonderful Zach Goodman, he and I both have two wins in Take the Rake. Our guests, Eric and Glenn Clark, combined for two wins. Zach, you have one win. That did not change this week. You know what? I'm gonna fix this. It's gonna it's gonna turn around for me. I think I'm gonna tie it up this week. I have a, I have a good feeling. All right. Now what we have to do here is we have to figure out who came in second, so we know who picks first between the two of us. Because both of our guys have four hits. Alberto had the higher batting average, and they both doubled. They both homered. But Stewart drove in six. And the the strikeouts, a bit of a wash. Three more strikeouts than Alberto, but Alberto had three less at-bats. If he goes over three with three strikeouts in his next three at-bats. So who wins between the two of us? I got to give it to you, I think. I, I, Stuart, you know, only four for 29, but, you know, I, I, I think I, think I got to give it to you for this one. Point. The six RBIs, yeah, it, you know, it's everything else is a wash. 
But driving in six runs in a week, you expand that out over a, over a whole season. That's a 120, 130 RBI season. So driving in six runs, and I think he probably he, and he gets on base more than Alberto. I don't think Alberto walked at all all week, and I think DJ Stewart probably walked three or four times. So I appreciate it. I was nervous because I was leaning towards me as well, but they were so close, and we both of our guys weren't good last week. You know, there's no real winner here. So I appreciate it. That means I get to pick first. Oh man, I was gonna do Hayes. Me as well. I, and I had Hayes all picked out. I was ready to tie it up, but you know. And Kremnitzer took him. He took him. Oh man, who's playing every day for the Orioles? <sighs> Give me Jose Iglesias. Oh come on. Well, <laughs> is that who you were gonna take look, too? Look, two two of my guys are are gone, so there's still Ryan Mountcastle available. You know, there's still still Ryan Mountcastle. I don't know if that's a legal take here. I mean, I'm not. The, the rules kind of are shaky on this game, so. Well, no, the, the, why wouldn't it be a legal take? Neither I mean, one of us have taken Ryan Mountcastle Ryan, in a couple Ryan, of weeks. Ryan Mountcastle, it is. I mean, I I, I can't not take Ryan Mountcastle. Yeah, yeah, you know. Matt's right. Taking anybody that's been just tearing the cover off the ball all year, basically, like DJ Stewart, who's been pretty hot until this last week because I picked him, uh, or Ryan Mountcastle, whatever, man. If it gets you a win and take the rake, you got to even this thing up, man. We have one more regular season show, and you're the only one without two wins. So we, you, you got to even it up. Ryan Mountcastle, it is. Solid pick. I think Iglesias going to hit seven home runs this week, so I don't actually think that, guys. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the battle round. Hey, Zach, real quick, real quick, because screw it. How'd you feel about that Ravens game? Oh, incredible game. I mean, Lamar played fantastic. Defense looked pretty good. Got to shore up the run defense a little bit. But, you know, they, they locked down Odell and Jarvis. You know, great play from Marlon and Marcus. So, well, I, I think we look pretty good. You know, it's a stacked roster, so you should look pretty good. But, uh, you know, Texans game should be pretty good this weekend. I'm not too worried at all. 141-7 last year, so I, I'm pretty confident. Any chance? of a letdown against the Texans tomorrow. Well, I mean, anytime you play Deshaun Watson, I think it's always a little bit of a risk. He's a great quarterback. He's top five. He can run around a little bit. But Deshaun Watson has one fatal flaw, and that's where he collapses when the pass rush kind of hits him. So he doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins as a safety net anymore. He has Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller to throw to. So as long as Marcus and Marlon— And Kenny Stills. And, and Kenny Stills. So as long as those guys can be shut down and the Ravens can try to shut down David Johnson as best as possible, I think they'll come out with a win. Yeah, I think that the Ravens could win, should win tomorrow. Stephen A. Smith on uh, just f he had no reason for it on uh, first take the other day. Had no reason for it other than he just has a gut feeling that the Texans are going to win. He says the Ravens are going to lose four games this year. Why can't one of them be to the Texans? Uh, well, why can't one of them be to the Browns? Because they're better than them. But any given Sunday. So here's what I'm going to do. I just thought of this right now. And thanks for sticking with us if you're still here, you know, 13 minutes after the show is supposed to end. And, Zach, I know you want to go home. So we're going to get you out of here in, in just a second. This is what I'm going to do for you. Since you only have one win, I'm going to give you an out here, so to speak. You've taken Ryan Mountcastle. If Ryan Mountcastle doesn't win it for you next week, but you make a Ravens prediction and your Ravens prediction is better than mine, I will give you the win next week. So give me a Ravens prediction. I'm going to go 37-17 Baltimore Ravens. 37-17 Baltimore Ravens. And who is your star of the game? I'm going to go with Patrick Queen. I think Patrick Queen is going to show out. Patrick Queen's going to show out. Okay, I like it. He had a, he had a solid debut. Not great. A lot of downfield tackles. But 
had a big sack and had a nice fumble forced uh, when the Ravens really needed it. And I thought that he played really well considering he only started one year in college and it was his first professional game. So, Patrick Queen, good choice. You said 37 to 17? Correct. All right. I do a show called The Football Frenzy with my buddy Adam Rothgab. It's not really a big deal at all. I'll just giving myself a free plug here. But on that show that I'm going to be posting later today on SoundCloud that I, it will be up on my Twitter and my Facebook pages, uh, it's called The Football Frenzy. On that show, I predicted that the Ravens would win this game 45-20. to 20. Uh, I think that Lamar is going to throw for 235 and four touchdowns. I think Ingram and Dobbins both find the end zone. My star of the game is going to be Mark Ingram. I think Mark Ingram's going to rush for 80-plus yards, and I think he's going to get a rushing touchdown, maybe even a receiving touchdown. You know what I'm going to say? A rushing and a receiving touchdown. If your Ravens prediction with your star player is more accurate than mine, doesn't matter what Ryan Mountcastle does, you will win next week. Fair enough. Fair, Fair enough. enough. All right, thanks for tuning in to the Bat Around. Sorry if we ended with a little bit of football talk, but we do love our Ravens here in Baltimore. Thanks for tuning in to the show. Tune in next week. We're going to have a lot of great, a couple of great guests, and it's our final regular season show before we hit the postseason and the offseason, but we'll still be coming to you live every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12, on the Bat Around with Paul Valley and Zach Goodman. Till then, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.